Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Megan Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Jamie. Jamie, how are you? I am great. How are you? I'm good. Back from a little hiatus. We're back to review two episodes. It's the end of the season. You know what that means. It means we've got our third partner here, Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Doing well, man. Excited to talk Star Wars. You are snuck you... in. That's the whole extra episode you're doing by doing it like this. I yeah. see your sneaky ways. Planned. Utterly planned. Yep, I'm making Spencer do more work. We're going to review the last two episodes of Season 3 of Mandalorian today. Spies and what was the cha- the name of the last chapter? Did anybody remember? Chapter 23 uh, was the re- Spies. The Return. Chapter 24 was The Return. Okay, we're going to review both of those today. In normal Mango Talk Star Wars fashion, I'll read the recap. Jamie and Spencer will help me along with that, talking about what they think of each episode as we go. Then we will do best line of the episode. We can probably do best line of each episode, or we could do one of two. I don't know. No strong preference here. I'm easy going today. Easy going. And then we'll do a nostalgic moment of the episode. Uh, I've got a nominee. I'm pretty fucking hyped to talk Grogu. I'm just not going to bury the lead here, folks. Uh, that's what got me excited about these two episodes. And then Look, we shall. Nostalgic for things that happened this season. I'm, I'm going to put my foot down on that. You I'm nostalgic for the first time I saw in earlier seasons. If you like want to punt, but you can't be nostalgic for things for the same season. I'm nostalgic for the first time I saw Grogu fight the Praetorian Guards. I'm still nostalgic for it. Uh, so there you go. That's, that's how I am. He's nostalgic presently for future events. So there we go. I'm free, so that's what I'm we're going to do. nostalgic this moment because it's just that cool is basically where you're going. Really excited to be back. I think that – so we'll, we'll do this episode and we'll end it. We'll wrap up, right? I think the next time you'll probably hear us after this episode will be in the lead up to Ahsoka. Uh, I think that's the next thing that we're going to cover on this podcast um, feed. So if you're a Megatron Star Wars fan, please stay subscribed. As new Star Wars comes, we will we will do that. I'm not sure who's going to be hosting the Ahsoka series. We'll figure that out when we get to it. But one, two, or three of us, that's what I can promise. We'll review Ahsoka at some point. And I think that comes in August, so that should be a lot of fun. And I know that Ahsoka is really going to have a plot that, that converges with this show, and I think that what we got here in the final two episodes of season three of Mandalorian was them kind of getting a little bit back on track with, okay, we got a story to tell. We're building toward this big Thrawn Mandalorian Avengers thing. Let's get back on that sort of train track a little bit. That's what I felt about it. I'm going to, before I jump into the recap, I do want to ask Spencer what he thought of the two episodes, and then Jamie, I'll go to you what you thought of the two episodes. Just general thoughts, good, bad, indifferent, whatever, and then we'll jump into the recap. Spencer, what'd you think? They were fine. I mean, they, they were they were very heavily action packed episodes. Um, there were parts that I kind of turn off my brain and just enjoy, enjoy the exciting lights. And the overall effect I have kind of just kind of matches my ultimate feeling of the season. I'm a little bit underwhelmed. I thought the overall season was probably the weakest we've got of Mandalorian so far. And this ending, though, it tried to bring it all together of what otherwise has been a kind of a jumbled season into a concrete and solid package. I found the resolution not perfectly satisfying. It felt like we didn't really, that particularly Mando himself did not have much way of forward progression this season. And though Bo did, it seems like everything was in service to her story rather than the other ones. So in the end, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ultimately disappointed with the season and it's coloring my view of these two episodes. Okay. Jamie, what'd you think? Last two episodes. What'd you think of the last two episodes? So I share some of Spence's thoughts. Um, I liked them. I liked the ending. I was not hootering and hollering. There were certain parts that actually bugged me, but 
the things that bug me are bigger than nitpicks, but are small enough that I didn't hate it. Um, you know, they're not my least favorite episodes. I guess if I had to try to say overarching, like, how they brought home the season compared to how the other two seasons got brought home, I don't actually remember exactly how season one ended, except awesome. I don't remember exactly how. Um, uh, meeting Moff Gideon for the first time in a giant battle occurring on the what the world that are now, you know, grand ma- that are grand master runs. Big yeah. turret gun. So of the three wrap-ups, this was the weakest by a significant margin. But you'll remember from the others, Mandalorian's like my favorite of the new Star Wars products, season one and mm-hmm. two of Mandalorian, probably one and two. So you could be number three of all pro- Star Wars seasons and still be way behind those two to me. So, yes, I agree with everything. I was happy. I enjoyed it. I don't mind it being mostly about Bo-Katan and his relationship to her more than his relationship to Grogu or his relationship to himself or even the armorer. Um, I'm very okay with that because I like Bo-Katan. I'm not quite the fanboy that Lee is, but I like her. Um, and I'm very okay with it focusing on her being the Mandalorian of this season. Sure, she can have a turn. Um, but yeah, I, there were things that didn't make sense. There were things that were kind of dumb and frustrating, and I just had to shrug them off. Yeah, you know, everybody listens to Podcast Network knows I'm a, po- I'm a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm, thing that, mm-hmm. one thing that one thing that WWE wrestling what? did about ten to fifteen years ago is they started to expand the product. And the expectation was that people would sort of watch it a la carte. They would, you know, like, I'm going to follow the Sasha Banks storyline or I'm going to follow the John Cena storyline, but I'm not super interested in The Miz or I really don't like Becky Lynch. And they would kind of pick and choose and you you kind of watch a match on YouTube and the next week you watch that same person's match on YouTube. You don't sit through the full three-hour product, right? Um, Every Monday and two-hour every Friday and three-hour every month, like – that's kind of what Star Wars is becoming a little bit for me is that, like, they're giving us more and more Star Wars. And so I'm able to kind of pick and say, oh, I really like this part of it. This part of it I can kind of – I'm not as interested in. It used to be more of like a there's, like, three stories. This is the story. Like, that's it. And now it's like, oh, well, if you don't like, you know, Obi-Wan and some of the nostalgic stuff, you might like Andor, the sort of new new storytelling where they they, they, they all new characters and – if you'd like this part of Mando, you might not like that part of Mando. Maybe you like the Law and Order episode, and maybe you're not so big a fan of everything building toward Mandalorian Adventures. So I'm able to kind of pick and choose. I really like anything that connects to the Emperor coming back. That's like my favorite part of the sequel movies is that the Emperor somehow concocted this fucking crazy plan to be a clone and threw his essence into something that stayed there for a while. I mean, like that whole thing, anything with Palpatine, I'm, I'm interested in, and I'm – of course, super fascinated with Grogu and his development. I think they're taking time with his development. They could have very easily had him speak his first words in this episode. Yeah. They did. They Kinda did. did. Kind of did. Yeah, but the, but they no, didn't. didn't. Yeah, but they didn't. I heard a yes and a no coming out of somewhere. Yeah. So, so they could they could progress him faster than they're doing. They're not. They're kind of taking their time with showing that he is gaining in skills and abilities. I like that. So I, I can grab the Grogu part. I can grab the Project Necromancer part. I can grab the little bit of Mando and Bo-Katan part. But, you know, not all of it's for me. Um, and I, I think and I think but I'll wrap up with this. I'll say that, like, yeah, it was the weakest of the three seasons for sure. But I think it was always going like we were always headed that way. I mean, like. Unless they just stopped it, like, it wasn't going to be as good as season one and season two. That's like a really fucking high bar. So I'm fine with it. So can you see yourself intentionally skipping 
live action Star Wars, if it's, oh, I like this, but I don't like that, can you imagine yourself intentionally skipping live action Star Wars product? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I may, I mean, I may end up doing that with like, I mean, I'm doing it right now with Bad Batch. I mean, it's not live action, right? But like, I've traditionally watched the cartoons and I'm not watching Bad Batch. I may, I may miss Acolyte, depending on what Acolyte is. 0.0% chance I'll miss Andor season two. I can't fucking wait for that. But yeah, there's a chance. If they did an Obi-Wan season two, I'm not sure how much of that I'd watch. Like, there's a chance I'd, I'd miss, I'd miss some of this stuff for sure. I mean, um, yeah. Sir, Sir Ewan McGregor is disappointed in you. For saying such blasphemy, Saint Ewan McGregor. All right, let's jump into the recap. So, this is season three, episode seven, chapter twenty-three. Spies. We start in Coruscant, beautiful show of the city. Basically, Elia Kane's walking around. She connects with a uh, hologram of Moff Gideon, has a conversation, and in essence, she's just telling Moff Gideon, "Hey, look, the fucking Mandalorians came in to that situation in Navarro. So, what we learned is that Elia Kane." working with Moff Gideon, somewhat behind um, the pirate captain's blockade of Navarro and saying that, you know, it was the Mandalorians that came in and saved the day there. He's like, which Mandalorians, Bogotan and Din Djarin? And he goes, ah, I can't be. Those two are different tribes. So he's really learned a lot about Mandalorians, which makes sense. He's fucking living on Mandalore. Um, yeah, so that's that was that scene. It, one of the things we get pretty early out of this, Thrawn, not as involved as we thought he was going to be this season. But basically, Thrawn is entirely absent, and everything has been Moff Gideon in terms of things that have been going on. True. That was my read, too. Come back later to, that's what we said we thought was it was going to lead to, and, and we were wrong. I was wrong. 100% so, wrong. Moff Gideon is at play to the point they're even talking about Thrawn not being present here in a minute. So we're going to, so I'm going to, I'm going to, in this recap, I'm going to go deeper into this conversation that he has with the group of Imperials in the hologram than I do in most of the recap because I feel like this is like one of the most important scenes we have. So Gideon walks in. He looks like there's dark troopers all near him, new dark troopers, dark troopers 2.0. And he's in a hallway with many different laser barriers, very reminiscent of episode one in that Mm -hmm. duel of the fates, duel of the fates, uh, fight with Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul. And he goes in this discussion with Imperial leaders and they're kind of arguing when he walks in and they seem to think they're citizens loyal to the, loyal to the empire on every planet in the galaxy. And there's this kind of idea of like, how do we get them to rise up and support us? Spencer just kind of like reminds me a little bit of maybe, um, Daenerys in exile having that like conversation of like, well, as soon as I come back, they'll, they'll, they'll love the real ruler, the real Targaryen ruler. And it always rings a little hollow in these, these types of conversations to me. There, there, there is a certain measure of self delusion that's going into play of where these are the effectively the new regional moths of the imperial remnant. They were consolidating a certain measure of control. They assume that with the proper spark, the galaxy will be able to fall back within the control of the empire again. There's a certain measure of optimism going on here. And, uh, Lee, may I please just wave hi at a legacy character? Yeah, yeah. Hi, Gil. Nice to see you, Gil. I, I love you and your mustache, and I've missed you so much from Star Wars Legacy. Great to see you coming back into the canon. So I, they might not have been as delusional as you thought, because think, think in Obi-Wan, that random guy who, like, had an Empire logo on his back. is like, you know what? Good to have some law and order. And think about how many people who were, you know, the for the Republic didn't get taken over by the Empire as far as most people in the galaxy could see it. The Republic, you know, changed logos, but was still the Republic. They just called themselves the Empire now, as far as most people who don't know what happened on Coruscant would know. 
I bet there, there's, I, I think life and HOAs show us there's a lot more people with a little authoritarianism in their heart than we would like to think. What? They might not I, be I, wrong. I think you're, I think the example that you offered to Coruscant doesn't really work though, because that's, that's more indifference than passion. If they're counting on people to actively wave a banner, that's not exactly something that they can really tap into there. They can more rely on just people being indifferent to their efforts to change, to, you know, subvert the current status quo. So, yes, but if you have any, any small local power that's worse off now than they were under the Empire could easily be, you know, not a I'm going to sacrifice myself for the Empire, but I'll sacrifice people around me for the Empire easily. They, anybody I, who you could taunt with your old power back, a lot of I people want that. I will agree that two-party systems suck. So one guy says Grand Admiral Thrawn's reemergence will herald in the um, – Reemergence of our military and provide Commandant Hux enough time to deliver on Project Necromancer. So a lot going on there. One is that we is learned, Gil. <clears throat> yeah, so Gil. So there we go, Gil. One one thing we learned is Grand Admiral Thrawn is in hiding. He's not uh, living a public life now. He's not even really talking to at least publicly this entire group now. From the books, I th- I theorize that he's probably talking to some of these folks more than they're letting on. Um, I don't I don't see a situation where Thrawn would go 100 percent underground and not be not be wielding influence in some way. I think my guess here is that Thrawn Thrawn. So Gideon clearly has a bit of a at minimum power struggle, maybe resentment against Thrawn. And Thrawn tends to pick up on that in humans before humans can even vocalize it like he's he's. If somebody starts to get like a hint of resentment with him, he's like seven steps ahead. Like he would have figured out that Gideon has this vein in him, this sort of competitive vein of like, well, if Grand Admiral Thrawn's not around, maybe we need a new leader. He would have known that. So like, I, it's not surprising to me that he's not in some any any visibility of Thrawn or uh, of Gideon at all. Like it doesn't surprise me that Gideon has no idea where he is, and Gideon thinks he's completely underground. That kind of tracks to me. And it seems like Thrawn's working through intermediaries in the form of Paleon, Gil, Gilad Paleon, uh, who from the, from the book's most legacy was always Thrawn's kind of like right hand man anyway, or at least closely connected with him. So it kind of makes sense that he'd operate in that kind of indirect manner. But it seems from this conversation that Paleon, Thrawn, and also Hux to a certain degree are kind of like monopolizing resources to the point that the people are kind of like looking for them to contribute more, particularly Gideon here in this conversation. Yeah, and uh, so that's a great thing that you pointed out. Hux, so this is the father of the Hux that we see in the subsequent movies, right? So, Hux Senior. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. And then he references Project Necromancer. So the way that I understand this from the additional media, this is, boy, you want to talk, you want to say something that will piss Spencer off. Spencer, they explained it. They did the movies, and then they explained it in the books later. So you should have read the books later. You, you really know. love when they do that that um favorite thing yes wind so palpatine this is the way i understand it if either of you know it differently tell me the way i understand it is palpatine was acutely aware that vader was capable of flipping on him he thought his life was in immediate risk going and leading up to the battle of endor so what he did was create this sort of cloning apparatus so that if he met a tragic end if he met an unexpected end he could transfer his essence to a clone body the project was not quite done when he got thrown down the elevator shaft so he transferred his essence into a clone body that wasn't stable 
that was and and basically what was happening is he the, those bodies were decomposing very fast and he's having to go to the next go to the next go to the next project necromancer is an attempt to find a stable clone body for palpatine in the process of trying to create that stable clone body they created snoke snoke was a clone wasn't really aware that he was a clone and palpatine said oh well we created this thing that is force sensitive extremely force sensitive that is pretty smart that is not going to work for my body i can't i can't jump in there and be uh, it's not he's not going to be palpatine version 2.0 but i can manipulate him through the dark side of the force and control him and use him as my puppet in the first order and then eventually they they found a body that was relatively stable we saw in the last movie in episode 9 that it wasn't like super stable he was still decomposing somewhat that is like the what 90 seconds of project necromancer in my understanding either of you have a different idea or understanding of that uh, from me having just read the wikipedia when i heard it was a thing that kind of matches my understanding of it yeah yeah i think sure and, and did i hear understand this right that i heard somewhere that um ray's parent is not actually palpatine's kid but is a palpatine clone who was not force sensitive and so was a failed clone yes but then you know, being punted out and growing up on his own, he turned into a normal human being. Yeah, because that's that's what that's what was going on um, out in Exegol is that they were creating clones and some of them would pop out not force sensitive. And so Palpatine couldn't use those. Some of them would pop out not particularly not stable. Some of them would pop out really sort of disfigured and fucked up like Snoke was. And he was like, that's not going to work for me either. Um, so that's kind of what was going on over there on Exegol as they were trying to find uh, some sort of body that is, is interesting. I probably go on too long about this because like the idea of how, how Palpatine was able to, uh, we have that, that meme about how crazy Disney is with the so how Palpatine returned. I don't know. I like that Palpatine came back. So I, oh, yeah. I'm like super into it. And I also really like the Snoke character because it's fascinating to me that like probably the most powerful person in the galaxy force wise, maybe it was Luke. It was Snoke Luke there like for a while was a puppet clone and fucking didn't even know it. That's kind of a fascinating angle for him. And let's just remember, in the old stories, the ways Palpatine came back were not better than this. Like, the idea that this was weird and out of character in Disney's... One of the times Palpatine came back in the old one, it was his guards, like, puppeting, oh yeah, no, he totally said it, just faking it. And he wasn't even there at all one of the times, of the many times. I love the weird... Oh, he's come back again. The Legends can, like, yeah. Is this one a clone or a robot or a mimic or a hologram? No, oh, this is the real Thanos? Okay. Better call Squirrel Girl. She's the only one who can beat him. That meant it was basically always just in the canon that, you know, Force ghosts exist. He's always around. He's just a dark side Force ghost that occasionally can step into an Occupy clone body or just otherwise be omnipresent around like Exar Kun interfering with things. But yeah, I mean, if he is Space all magic. Death, he, he is kind of... Getting him a name and a body is almost pointless. He basically is the embodiment of the dark side of the Sith, the will of the dark side of the Force, if there is one. Yeah, it's one thing where I thought, like so much with the third movie, I thought they just crashed the execution. I didn't have a problem with Palpatine coming back. I had a problem with the canon. It just was horribly, horribly set up, not explained, not gone into at all. Look, look, until we actually do our reviews and I make the two of you say why each of those sequel movies is the best of all nine, you don't get to talk smack about them until I make you say why they're the best. You you can try to stop me from talking smack about the new film, sir, but I do it in my spare time. (laughs) 
I liked I liked the Palpatine return angle. I liked the Exegol angle. I liked the final the final solution fleet or whatever Nazi parallel that was. Yeah, I I liked it all. Uh, so back to the the recap. So we get this line with respect. Our one hope for secret for success is the secrecy of Thrawn's return. Gideon says, "Look, I'm all into secrets. I've not heard anything about Thrawn. I feel like that line was really intentional by them, where they were saying." Yeah, Thrawn really doesn't want Gideon to know where the fuck he is because Gideon would probably mm-hmm. try to kill him. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think Gideon is a Thrawn loyalist. I think he would have tried to kill Thrawn if he knew where he was. Um, you have spoken of his imminent return. Perhaps it's time we look to new leadership. And then this line, which just gives, I mean, this is just like tipping the cards over in the poker hand. Project Necromancer is in place for that. So there you go. That's take an explanation of what Project Necromancer is. What has become of Dr. Pershing and the research he provided us? He goes on to explain that Dr. Pershing has been taken by the new, uh, the, the New Republic, and for now, he, his research is lost, and he's sort of out of touch. But we know that Elia Kane is trying to pull him back into the fold. Now, well, is, are they like are they really setting up for like season four being all about Pershing? Because that's actually one of the things I'm mad about. They've kind of made his entire episode irrelevant. Well, Pershing's dead, right? No. Oh, or at least no, no, like, completely mind wiped. Oh wait, wait. Oh, yeah, no, you get to say your opinion, because Lee and I argued about this. Uh, is he mentally pudding, or was he just tortured and now is going to be radicalized against the New Republic? Nah, I, I interpreted it as being they were basically doing a hit on him just so they can cover up the research he was doing. Or in, it's worth, I think now being implied in this episode, this is Gideon doing a power play to try to undermine Project Necromancer and also undermine Thrawn, just make all, making all the clone focus around himself and undermine the other efforts to have another senior leader. So that's what I think also. I liked uh, Lee's idea that it's actually was their efforts to make him just hate the Republic more. But I think he's putting. And But now why? Like Why did they devote all this time when it could have just been, oops, he died? I mean, if, they could have just said, oops, he died. Question? If you want to ask the question of why this season spent so much time, we could do a list there in terms of reasons that they went on on just kind of tangent episodes. I'm kind of inclined to think that was a kind of standalone episode, a pretty good standalone episode. But I'm pretty I'm pretty I'm pretty as certain as I can be from the evidence we have that Pershing's out of the equation now. If if he comes back again, he won't be the same dude. Yeah, well, I mean, Gideon didn't say he was dead, and uh, I, I, we didn't never we never saw him as pudding. So I, my my thought on this could be wrong, absolutely could be wrong, is that he, they, he was being tortured in an attempt to continue to radicalize him, and that Elia Kane is obviously subverting the New Republic. I think the whole point of the whole episode is to show you the rot in the New Republic, which makes the rise of the First Order less sure. surprising. Because uh, I, I think that's you know everybody had so many problems with Episode Eight and Nine. And I'm, I, I've been baffled that people didn't have more problems with episode seven. First of all, it's a complete remake of New Hope. Second off, where the fuck did this new order come from? Like out of it, like we're just like dumped back into the world and the old, the new republic completely gone. First order is running everything. It was, it, that, that whole piece annoyed the shit out of me. And, and they're bridging that gap somewhat to explain to us how the, the first order kind of came around. So I like that piece. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 you know, we, we, we've occasionally talked about Chekhov's gun. Like, that entire episode set up so many pieces, which, if you think they're only filling in gaps for past stuff, I guess fine. Kind of a weird place to decide to do that gap filling. But you set up a lot of pieces that you could have used in this season and apparently had no intention of doing so, which is frustrating. 
there's there's a lot of things where I just need to keep a list of that did not reach a conclusion, a culmination, or even necessarily a return to this season. You're right. Whether like, they will come up again, did, we'll find did out. Did Jack Black win that sporting event? I need to know these things. Well, we know Lizzo okay. won. Okay. Relative levels of priority, sir. So I, I'm um, just saying that that's a big that's an entire episode that didn't have anything to do with our main story on its face, but it had so many tertiary things that it felt good and it felt connected, but they decided not to make any of those connections, I guess. Yeah. That's just the frustrating part. I I love Monster of the Week. I love sidetracks. I like that. But if if it doesn't even have the main characters in it, the only time that ever worked was when they had Boba Fett without Boba Fett, and that's just Mando's <laughs> better than Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Hux uh, has heard his request. So the request that came over from uh, Moff Gideon for resources is three Praetorian guards. Um, mm-hmm. These are specific guard. These are like the the elite of the elite of the, the empire. They ended up. Um, they're sort of a legacy of the Imperial Royal Guard that that would personally um, protect Palpatine. They ended up being the guard that personally protected Snoke that we all saw die in episode, what, six. Um, so these, these are the guys that want Ray and Kylo Ren, yes. right? Yeah, okay. exactly. So it sounds like somebody's concerned with an assassination attempt, he says, and um, Gideon goes on to say, I am increasingly confident that they are preparing to retake their home world of Mandalore. They seem to understand this can't happen. He says, you have your reinforcement, your guard. Gideon says they should be rid of the Mandalorians once and for all. Long live the Empire. Long live the Empire. He's also getting a whole mess of ships too, because I think he asked for like a squadron of tie interceptors to also back him up too, because he's he's got plans to fight the Mandalorians not only on the ground but in the air, and the air's probably where he had better odds. Yeah, it was kind of cool too, because like he asked for the tie interceptors and the breach three Praetorian guards, and we see the tie interceptors before the Praetorian guards, and so you can kind of yeah. like go, uh oh, we're going to see, they, they, yeah, they've arrived. We will, we will see those Praetorian guards at some point, and we did, and Grogu kicked their ass, and it was really awesome. How long do we think Gideon's been escaped at this point? Do we have a, like an, an impression of time? Because I would be man's either been busy now or busy off camera in the prior season. We just didn't see that he had multiple projects. I would be remiss if I did not bring up an internet theory that this is not the real Moff Gideon and that this is an actual clone that the real Moff Gideon died. Um, does anybody believe that? If if now speak or forever hold your peace. We have no. nothing to say in favor of that. From what we have so far. Well, apparently the old Moff Gideon had a mustache. This Moff Gideon doesn't. Oh, no. If only they had invented sharp metal objects. Yeah. I don't, I don't, look, I don't either, but the, the internet got hot to trot about that theory. I don't believe it either. I think that was a real Gideon. I think he died. I don't know. Spencer, that's a great question of how long. I mean, uh, you know, they, they said there was a two year time jump where Grogu was with Luke. So maybe that, uh, you know, maybe Gideon's been out quite a while. Um, so Luke, I, I, the only insight I have is that he had been busy before he got captured. Um, when he got rescued, he got rescued by somebody who left Beskar behind. So he already sure. had Beskar alloy dark troopers before he was captured. So his operation on Mandalore has been going on like probably since Mandalore got taken in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw some people trying to ponder that he'd been doing all of this in like maybe the last three months. It's like, no, no, no. We knew that he was heavily associated with Mandalore, that he was one of the guys that crushed it, that he had a corner on the best Gar market. What we're seeing now is that in season two, we got to see him focused on the subject of Dark Troopers, but he had more than one project at the same time. He had Dark yeah. Troopers, and he also had his Mandalorian plan, and now yeah, we're we, just finding out more about the Mandalorian plan. Yeah. So we know for a fact that he has had 
Beskar Alley Dark Troopers for at least two years, because since he had them before he got captured, presumably we, he had a lot before that. Do we know the, the Dark Troopers are Beskar? Uh, we, I don't know. We know that they're I, the second I'm round. I'm all of his guys Dark Troopers. You guys can correct me with the real names. I'll call well, them Steve if you want me to. Technically, the Dark Troopers are the robots, and he's wearing a Dark Trooper suit in this, and these are other guys we'll just call Stormtrooper Commandos or something. Be- Be- Beskar Troopers. The Beskar, Beskar Troopers. troopers. He, Done. He had Beskar Troopers and or Beskar Dark Troopers in time to already set up enough that they were able to rescue him. Sure. So, so it must have taken a long time to get those, so he's been doing something here for a long time. Mm-hmm. Cut to Navarro. Everybody's cleaning up, and basically, uh, Bo, Mando, Grogu arrive with Wolf, his gang. Uh, Bo's old fleet. The armorer sees them as they come out, and this is the, the greeting of the two tribes. Right? The armorer calls it to order, calls them fellow Mandalorians, says, "Make camp. We're gonna make a feast. It's gonna be great. It's quite a fleet." Um, <clears throat> in comes Grief Karga, Apollo Creed himself, walks up, uh, gives Mando a bottle of booze. It's from Coruscant. So, you know, be careful with that stuff. Uh, Grogu is for a friend. I, I love him saying you have a smaller group because he's like, ah, it, it's very much, it might be appropriate, it might be fitting, but it, it makes me think of, you know, a time when I was going to somebody's house for a big poker night and I brought like a six pack of beer and there were like 60 people there and nobody else had brought like a little housewarming gift. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put these six on the end. And then at the end, I was, do you want your six beers back? I'm like, um, nope, um, nope, uh, Sorry for bringing mm-hmm. the one thing for all 700 of you. My mistake. Uh, so modern, modern canon question. Is Axe Woves out? Does he have a role outside of this show? No. Not that okay. I know of. Just want to, I just want to see if he was like, a, if he had a bigger backstory or whatever else. Cause he's cl- clearly become a major character now in season three when he appeared kind of before. I was just curious whether there was more they were drawn from or not. No, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, Jamie and I kind of thought maybe the wolf was named for Dick Wolf because it was a Law and Order episode that he came about in. Um, we kind of thought I, that I might be a connection. hours on end that his name is Axe. His name is Dick Wolf. But it's, it's, it's not even Wolf. It's Wove. It's W-O-V-E-S. Sure, yeah. Look, um, I watched the subtitles on and I still didn't know that. His name is Wolf because that's what they say. Uh, so then we see Grogu sitting on a table playing, kicking ass, doing Grogu things. And in comes an IG droid. And one of the Anzellans is piloting him from a little chair in the droid's chest. The pilot provides cognition, is the explanation from, uh, our guy, our guy, Grief Karga. Spencer is motioning as if he was watching episode nine in a theater. Spencer, what do you need to say? Well, I'm, I'm just, kind of, I was kind of amused. We specifically joked about the Anzellans doing this. We specifically <laughs> yep. joked about them riding IG 11 into the battle or whatever else. And it's happened. The show listened. To our sarcasm, but it listened. I'll tell you who's interested in this thing is Grogu. Grogu immediately sees the potential. Wall starts walking over. There's a there's a don't touch me bro in the hallway situation with the Enzelin and Grogu. No squeezy bad baby. Mm-hmm. All about the all about the Enzelins being having a problem with Grogu. That shit cracks me up. Grogu walks over. Uh, Grief Karga puts him up into the the little makeshift pilot area. Now Mando didn't like any of this. Pratt, Pratt, uh, proud dad, whatever, but he's also protective dad. He doesn't like it. He calls it heavy machinery, which is kind of hilarious considering what he knows Grogu can do. I mean, he saw him literally stop a fucking rancor in the streets, you know, 
like six months ago. But he's scared. He thinks that Grogu might hurt himself with this piece of machinery. Anyway, Grogu likes it. Immediately takes off, starts rolling, and what the Yanzellans, who are just the best, put into this thing is the ability to hit a button to say yes, hit a button to say no. And what we learn through that ability is that Grogu has been under has been able to understand Mando. He understands him. From understands every go. fucking word. Can. He can say things like "Go find," you know. Both he understands every word. He, he he speaks common. Sure, but uh, I'm not sure we've ever had such. Um, we've had hints at it, but this is just absolute hundred percent proof. It's explicit. Grogu can hear you. Grogu can hear you, and he can engage even in conversation with you with the yes and no thing. Right? It's not just like I got a general idea what Dad wants me to do. It's I understand the exact words you just said. No, no, mm-hmm. no. I liked the comedy of the yes no thing. It's because I'm predisposed to like anything about Grogu. I want to give the floor up to see if either one of you had a problem with this. Thought it was a little hokey. Whatever. I loved it. I maybe have started going yes and no around the house sometimes, and after about the third or fourth answer, there's yes and no. The other person figures out what you're doing, and it just gets better after that. Uh, as you guys well know, I only know how to say no anyway, so I was about halfway there with respect to that concept. It was fine. It, it seems like, practically speaking, this is a means of getting Grogu to walk around in a way that doesn't make it as obvious that it's a puppet moving around, because now he's got a CGI body by which he can you know, transport and more interact directly with things. So from that perspective, I get it as just a practical in-story thing. I'm indifferent. It's fine. I, I, it was a it was a little bit hokey, but I I, I understand its purpose. I think it can makes I, sense. Can I say that, it, that that one little pointless scene, which I do think drug on a little too long in the market with him and the food, I loved it because it felt exactly like season one of Mandalorian of like this tired dad just dragging this kid along, Please stop. causing trouble Please behind stop. him. I will get you ice cream later. Just please stop. I, hey, he's like, this isn't working for me. And Grogu's like, yes, the, yes. The scene went yes, like 20% yes. longer than it needed to, but it was so good and so small, and I loved it. I think it what, was what, funny. One of the things I appreciate about this is that, like, the Grogu moments are still funny, even though this, we're in season three of this now, and Disney clearly knows that Grogu, they like Grogu, they sell more Grogu merchandise than basically anything else that they sell right now. They know it, right? But it's still kind of funny because at least at this point that the comedy stuff with him, in my opinion, isn't ever done. I will say this, though. I like the building of in-world that, like, other people really like Grogu, right? Like, <laughs> Bo really likes him and, like, and, and likes him way more after the end of this uh, two-parter. But also Grief Cargo really likes him. And it's like, I, like I clearly has been sitting there in fucking Navarro thinking – what can I do for that little bugger? Like, what can I do to help him out? Like, it has this whole fucking thing built for him, hoping he'd like it. Like, I love that he is independently creating, like, fans in world. Like, Paz Vizsla and his kid at one point save him in this episode. Like, he's got buddies. The power of cute compels you. The only the only two people we know don't like Grogu are Frog Lady. And we're not even sure that she doesn't or not, like but Frog she Lady. should. Uh, and this merchant who is just done with respect to this kid who's just eating his shit. Cuts to the night, we see Wolf and Sasha Banks both come in, addresses them all, says, let's retake our homeworld. Everybody about it, put your hand in. Let's go. Let's do this. She suggests a small retcon party. So in essence, here's the strategy. She's going to have a smaller group, which doesn't look super small when they leave the fucking planet. Looks like everybody. Yeah, it, it looks like all the ships, basically. But like, so they, they leave and they're going to check out the, the world. They're going to figure out a base, et cetera. And then they'll call the rest of them in. That's kind of the plan. She asks for volunteers. We have a sort of. Typical moment around the campfire where it's, you know, my captain, my captain type of thing. Eventually, everybody, eventually, all the named characters that we know of 
say they're going to go. So basically everybody we know their name is going to go on this party. I call this a, at, at which point audience. I actually expected like in advance, I actually expected when they all left that the first time anyone went back to the ships, all the ships in the upper atmosphere, my wife called this actually, were all going to be, have been destroyed while they were on the surface. You never put all the named characters in one group because then every, everybody else can die. Sensible. Wait, all the red shirts are on that ship. Well, I know what's going to happen now. I, so, I actually, they subverted that. It was fine. They, they did. We lose a lot of red shirts this episode, but yes, they, they, they'd subvert it for right now. This is what I like to, like to call the I'm Spartacus scene. I feel like so many shows do this. This was one of the more least least successful moments of this episode in my mind, because by about the ninth I will go, I was rolling my eyes. It's like, guys, I get it. I only know about half of your names. Please stop. Yeah. It, three would have been enough. Three. And then, and then just have big groups standing up. The only one that really interested me. Uh, a new Mando was going to go. A new Grogu would go with Mando. The only one that interested me was the armor. That one kind of surprised me. Paz, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't expect armor Paz to go. Yes, or there was a chance Paz could have said no. Like they had set that up that it could have gone another way. Paz is the one that I wanted to see. Okay. Well, but for they, me, it was they, surprising the armor chose to go. Again, I don't think anyone didn't go. Like we yeah. see, like ten guys on one ship, and that's it in terms of like the total population of, the, of Mandalore. So it doesn't look like a small fleet. They leave. They get to Mandalore. They land. She gives them a general plan. Grogu's there in IG-12, by the way. I just want to point out I'm going to be on Grogu Watch the entire recap. He is there with Mando walking around. Yes, yes, no, no. The whole thing. Mando notices something mm-hmm. on the horizon. Both says night owls. So this is another uh, – this is a group of Mandalorians that she was she was involved with. Like her helmet has night owl markings on it. Um, and apparently hung around after the disaster. Yeah. So they arrive on some sort of like barge or ship type thing. It kind of like, style, but kind of look like a Java's barge type thing, except in Very water. Maybe. So, yeah. Um, the owls ask for food, so that shows that they've been struggling a little bit. And they have a back and forth with Bo-Katan, and they they tell them that they're still very much loyal to Bo-Katan. As a matter of fact, they say, "Sorry, we're fail- we we're sorry we failed you, but we're we're still here. We're we're still your it, people." It was kind of nice to have somebody specifically actually recognize Bo's authority because no, previously, particularly this season, no one has. So to have these guys immediately reassert their loyalty, it was nice. So I I did love that. And it, it shows, um, how much more there is. I, I do love this. I love that Star Wars is great about showing, but not showing everything. They showed you enough of these guys. These guys have been here for what, how many years since the Purge of Mandalore? And they've been eking out in existence, not being able to communicate out, not knowing that there were other Mandalorians out there, basically Mad Maxing it up with themselves. And, and that just is a thing. So they don't know anything has happened. As far as they're concerned, she's still the princess of Mandalore. Just full stop. Lisa- no second question about it. This is actually one of my biggest season disappointments. These guys are too cool and too interesting from a lore perspective to introduce now. You really should have introduced them when, when, when Mando first showed up on Mandalore episodes ago. So it's to set up their role, their arc, and tie it into bows earlier on. Spin-off. You, just them. No, 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 no spin-offs. Make them a key part of the show because they work. Entire spin-off of just... Uh, no, no, a prequel spin-off. We're going back. We're going to watch them Mad Max it up for 20 years. Again, this is Bo's season. If you're going to make it Bo's In season, real time. These no, no, no. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be live for 20 years. It's going to keep going. Stop. You're, you're saying gonna love horrible it. things to me. 
Now, this is Bo's season. We talked about this. And if you want to do that, these are great characters to help explore aspects of that that they should have brought in faster. The the 20 years watching paint dry. Spencer, little, little Ted Lasso, little, little Lasso, just stretch it out, stretch it out. Stop. Little, yep, yep. Why do you all want to hurt me? She says her forces were destroyed in the Night of a Thousand Tears. She said she met with Gideon. She says in return, she actually surrendered. She said, I surrendered to Gideon. I did it. I gave him the Darksaber. That's how he got it. <clears throat> and, of course, he, you know, didn't, didn't honor that, didn't honor that surrender and ended up going about and killing everybody uh, during the Purge of Mandalore. So, basically, after a Night of a Thousand Tears, the, the, the sequence is, Night of a Thousand Tears, Bo goes, holy shit, we don't stand a chance. She surrenders. Then there's still the Purge of Mandalore after that. Does that mean that he was never the rightful holder of the Darksaber? Or does I blew up your planet count as I beat you? I think it counts. Okay. She was surrendering. I think it was a battle. I think getting beaten even metaphorically to your knees counts. Okay. Fair enough. They ask how Armour survived. She was on the planet Moon of Concordia. She was was somewhere else. She, she, her and her little group was away. But it says that Mandalore has always been too powerful for an enemy to defeat. Not sure about that. Seems like it got defeated. We got a lot of evidence to indicate Seems like that. like it got really defeated, really, really <laughs> defeated in the Night of a Thousand Tears, like a lot. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And also, Mandalore's a long history of getting their ass kicked and then coming back. It's like, no, Mandalore can be defeated. They're just hard to fully wipe away. Yeah. Cut to Bo. Mando walks up behind her. He says he had no idea. We were taught that everyone <clears throat> had forsaken us, though, the way that, and that you were all selfish and uncaring. But now I understand. He says, basically, look. Your blood, your fact your family ruled, all that shit means absolutely fuck all to me. What matters to me is hustle, loyalty, respect. Oh, no, sorry. That's John Cena. Um, loyalty, respect. And what's the third one he says here? Character. Honor, mm-hmm. honor, loyalty, character. There you go. Honor, loyalty, character. He says, <clears throat> the reasons I, these are the reasons I serve you, Lady Crees. Your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is. And I'm screaming at my television screen, just fucking kiss. Just kiss each other on the mouths and get it over with. Uh, this was in the way, man. Yeah, this this is the problem with the cult. This is why they have to keep adopting people. They've got no natural means of reproduction with this always a helmet thing. Oh, helmet I have a theory. On, buddy. Helmet stays on. They're, they're into it. Joke's on you. I got a theory, I got a theory that, that Spencer's going to like here because he always likes these fourth wall breaking things, especially when they're about like the failures of Disney. Um I think that they wrote this script. I think they because because John Favreau says that he writes these things in groups, right? So he wrote season three, four, five all together a while back. Um, so he's got four and five written, ready to go. Season three he had written ages ago. I think he was he had written it for these two to get romantic. I think the fact that Pedro Pascal was fucking off in The Last of Us and could not be in the suit. Prevented them from any romantic intent because you, you, what's a romantic scene worth if he doesn't take his helmet off and kiss her? It's worthless. So I think they just didn't even go that route, even though it was kind of written into the dialogue to kind of go that angle. That's my theory. I'll buy it. I'll buy that. That's interesting. I, and you know what? If so, I think it's better for it. I think a slow burn of he appreciates her is better. I don't mind it. But I, I think that's that's where they're going. I, I certainly appreciate the slow burn of, of Grogo. I mean, I, I, I'm glad that they haven't made him fucking Yoda yet. I'm, I'm also with somebody that I w- would fully agree that giving her a sword as a first date gift would be just the ultimate gift. So Mando adopted the same philosophy. Good call. <laughs> Armour tells Bo that some of them, the night owls are too weak to continue. She says, 
armor says, I'll ferry him back up. And this is where I said, okay, that's it. This is the double cross we're getting at for the armor. The armor is double crossing. This is happening. I had hopes. I had I such so too. hopes. I was so sure of it. I would have lost money on this. Uh, Bo says the ones who are healthy can help, and the captain says that they can take her to the forge, actually. Onward, Mandalorians, to the forge. So they go off to the forge. Uh, so these people who have been stuck there for a while, they, they can get Bo to the forge. Bo probably is forgotten, and plus the planet probably doesn't look a lot like it did when she was there ruling when she was a teenager. Yeah, um, per- perfectly fair that these would be the guys you'd want to have to find out what is the current state of this blasted world. Bo, Mando, yep. Bo, Mando, Grogu, and, and how to avoid off. things like giant weird monsters. They'd be the ones they, to know how to do that, right? They, they, they apparently failed that particular aspect of the test. Also, what? the whole thing about steering, like you know, no, turning. No, no, they've had like this boat left, for twenty years. They have to be right. good at it. It couldn't just or, get destroyed on day one. Question for the group: yeah. the thing, the thing that destroys the barge is that the mythosaur. I no. don't know. I don't think no. so. I think it's just another big thing. I mean, Bo said lots of big things have come around, and apparently this one has a magnetic pole that doesn't let you steer away from it. Okay. Because also, my theory you can't is... see it in advance, and when you do see it, you just have to, like, Gawk. forget that you are able to not run right into it. And lose, like, a third of their people. Lots of people blew up there. Okay, well, I... Look, I'll give you two credit. Like y'all, y'all do I'm make, about this. y'all do let me know what part of the recap you're not gonna like before I get there. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, I, I I have a theory though. I don't know that it's a theory because it seems relatively proven. Is that it seems to me that large non-human creatures are drawn to Grogu, Mudhorn, Mythosaur, whatever the fuck this thing is, the Rancor. Like I think maybe part of the explanation for these these creatures coming around is the connection with Grogu, and they give us that right at the very end of the uh, the last episode is the connection huh. with the Mythosaur. So anyway, I think that might be an explanation. Yes, I'm gonna that. I'm gonna hold on to that because I I do love anything that can make the things I hate make sense. I would like to have fewer things that I get upset about. I just have so so many. I, 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 I might be able to buy opposite philosophy with my life. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, I think the whales, the, the you know, the hyperspace whales and yeah. maybe, I mean, maybe they're showing us over and over again that these creatures are drawn to Grogu. Grogu clearly has an interest in them. Like, I think that might be why they're fucking coming around. It might be these about, guys have never seen this thing before. It, yeah, maybe he's never woken up before. Maybe it's been sleeping underneath this rubble for 20 years. Still can steer. And I love, look, I love Bo-Katan. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows I, lo- I love Bo-Katan. But I also really love the idea that Bo thinks the Mythosaur came back to, like, connect with me. When in reality, I had absolutely fuck all to do with Bo. <laughs> it was there because it had since the Force presence of Grogu, and that's why I woke up. Like, I love that that angle because that's, that's a very Bo-Katan thing to get mixed up. She's She's got some ego about her. If, if this is indeed true, which I think there's enough alternative explanations, I don't buy it yet. They need to make this explicit soon. Because it's been three seasons is, now. Is more plausible? Forgetting lot, what your monsters are that live in your neighborhood? The, no, no. The fact that the monsters are drawn to Grogu does not interfere with your steering capabilities. Well, okay, they were in shock. They've never seen this thing before. It's never been They're Mandalorians. Paz and Wolf are playing a game. This is very reminiscent. Jamie, Jamie this is me and you, high school in your second story of your parents' house playing magic, I, I'm not at zero life yet. I promise I'm I'm down only to one. You've miscounted. I'm only at one. No, you're at zero. No, I'm at one. No, you're at zero. I attack you with all of my shit. shit. I'm going to kill you anyway next time. This I, is the fight. 
I never drew a knife on you except to cut blocks of cheese, which is what we just ate 24-7 back then, I think. But I know. Your uh, digestive system is wonderful, wasn't it? Yeah. This is Jimmy y'all were my of, kind of nerds. We played a lot of magic uh, between classes a senior year, which was a lot of fun. So anyway, these two get in a fight. Uh, who comes off? White green dick. White, white green's white green's really solid. I I always wanted a blue deck, but fucked it up. Um, it's too slow. Blue was expensive. New too podcast. S- too slow. Get, too slow. Getting going. Uh, so these two get in a fight. Who the fuck could have saw that coming? The only interesting part of this, I think, is that uh, they basically fight to a standstill, which was would have surprised me. I would have thought Paz could have kicked Wolf's ass. And the, the second thing is that um, you know, Bo-Katan's basically like. Neither side can break it up. I, I, this is what I think they were going for. This I could just hear Spencer now say, "You got to explain it better." I get no, it, no, and no, I no, actually, I no, I, no, I, I was okay with this. Okay, I, all right, I, because it was a kind of a one sentence explanation, which because neither side can break it up, and that's why Grogu breaking it up made I, sense because he's not on either side of this. I, I thought actually, that was a yeah, I, I kind of thought the same way while watching it. I was like, "This is really stupid, stupidest argument ever." These characters are smarter than this. This is less than a paper-thin pretense. And the answer is, well, yeah. But that's kind of the point, is that's all it took. They were that much on a knife's edge. And on a knife's edge doesn't mean keep balancing harder. It means it has to fall at some point. And it, might as well in now. Uh, and if, you, if somebody broke it up, they might not let it. And if not, then they just fight again that same day about whatever the next thing is. The power of Grogu compels them because he's cute, I guess. I don't know why it worked for him, but it did, and I bought that. That's fine. Well, I appreciate we got at least something of this because I was kind of hoping for – I was I wanted some degree of tension because they set up to the degree that these guys have never interacted before and have no reason to like each other. And then the armor just kind of silenced the dissension in that moment, and I was hoping we'd get to at least some edge that, no, that's obviously not enough to fix all problems. So this filled that role, and – I was completely with Bo when she was saying, no, you know, they, not, if either side offers any resources to break this up, it's just going to spiral into something far worse. I was like, yeah, that's actually realistic for how these kind of things would go. So having some form of neutral arbiter in the form of Grogu step in, as he's, you can, he's, as Lee, he's not really neutral, though. He, he's, he's Mando's buddy. No, no, I don't think they see him that way. I don't think they see him as part of the armorer sect yet. I mean, he's not been... He wasn't born into it. He's not officially adopted to him yet. He's not even an apprentice. I don't, I think they, I think he's, I think he was he's perfect for this because he's, you, you can't punch him back. They can all and, agree that they like him. Uh, here, here's a question for you all. Um, you know, he comes in, he says, no, which pff, God fucking love one single tear. God love Grogu. And he, Mando goes, I didn't teach him that. My interpretation of what they were trying to tell us there is that. Grogu learned to break up fights in the Jedi Academy, like between other kids. Like this is something that like he was in a big, really big school where they they were all fighting. This is something he would have learned in his previous life. Mando explicitly was saying he didn't learn it with me. I could see him breaking up fights in the Jedi Temple. That's kind of where I, I I went with that. I don't what I don't need I don't need that. Yeah. I, I just kind of need that this is an inherent aspect of Grogu's character yes. that is expressing itself. There's no one else at the Jedi Temple. He's going to break up fights between the droids or the rabbits? What are you talking about? Well, well, no, he, 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 he means was... before the Order 66. Oh. Yeah, like in class and stuff. That's where he That's what he he learned that. Like, that, And I actually really do care about like Grogu's past and like his, his history in the Jedi Temple. So like any any nugget on that, I, I salivate to. So I, I, don't, I take I, it more of him I, just saying, 
that's my kid. He's great. And he, I, he didn't get that from me. He's just great on his own. Okay. Um, that, I, that could be it too. And I like that. I like that argument too. Cause you said, sorry, I was great. like Luke taught him to break up fights. I was like, what? The real also, Jedi temple, not the stock, the stone thing that Luke was doing. Uh, also, Lee, just from a boxing perspective, I think he Paz wins this fight just on points. Wolves isn't going down, but Paz is getting the bigger punches in and getting more of them. Yeah, he well, is. Go ahead. I was just going to say, they both were in their own ways pulling punches. Like, they drew real knives, but he's got a Viper gap. Like, they, they were trying to, like, use lethal force to get the other one to submit. Neither of them wanted to be the one that murdered the other. This uh, was a di- This was a dick measuring contest more than it was a blood brawl. It can be both can rely on Spencer to go blue every time. I'll say this. I, Jamie, I like your, I, I'll, I, I will, let me, let me give you a peace offering. I really like your explanation that like maybe what he was saying was like, I didn't have to teach him that he's inherently good. Like he, he just cares about people and I didn't have to teach him that. I like that too. So I'm okay with that. Um, I don't know why I felt the need to sign off on it. Like anybody gives a fuck, but anyway, I did like it. <laughs> Who gives? Who cares, Lee? Nobody cares. Uh, so they go off into a cave. They get underground. They see some ruins, and um, they said, "This is what is left of the Great Forge, that was once the heart of our civilization." Some of them say they survived by migrating along the surface after the war ended. That is really surprising to me that they could have survived that we're, 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 surface. We're just address, we're, we're skipping the fact that the giant beast showed up because we already talked about that, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Would y'all like? Would y'all like to do? No, no. We, we, we more we, minutes we, on it. <laughs> I, th- I think we have done enough. This is true. Okay. <laughs> let me let me bookmark the podcast. We didn't like that scene. Okay, let's move on. Well, I, I was curious, Kyle. I was actually curious your views. Did you like this scene, or did you have some of our same problems with it? Did not have the same problems you did with it. It was okay. I, I thought way less about it than you guys did. I thought, oh, okay. Well, the thing showed up and. They they they're dealing with it, and I, I I didn't expect it to be easy going on Mandalore anyway, so it kind of made sense. I thought way less about the the steering and the whole. I, you guys were way into it more than I was. I, I, did you see the name on the side of the boat was called the Titanic? I thought that was like weird foreshadowing until that came about. <laughs> I, 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 in my dreams, it, it kind of reminded me of the one scenes I like the least in, in uh, episode one of this season of when that giant like alligator just randomly shows up, and the Mandalorians are kind of incompetent in dealing with it. Of where it's there appears to be a bit of a blind spot on the subject of Mandalorian tactics and fighting real big animals. Or, of- or they're not used to these big animals always fucking showing up until Grogu comes around and they haven't. Grogu been wasn't there. Grogu wasn't there for that first one in episode one. Grogu showed up to help kill it after it had already showed up to try he to kill it. He was on his way. That, that alligator was a wealthy committee for Grogu and he he's found, the- oh look, there's like ants all over this beach. Gotta get he's rid of these ants before Grogu planet. arrives. Absolutely on the planet orbit. It works. Um, yeah, so anyway. It's a Forge thing. It's Gideon's new dock troopers. Is that not Gideon's music? They arrive. Or, or uh, Beskar troopers. What are you going to call them? Beskar troopers. His, his elite stormtroopers, and they attack the Mandalorians. They fly now? Yeah, they have jetpack. They've got, they've got all kinds of Mandalorian gear. They've got jetpacks. They've got the little uh, like grappling hook thing. They've got flamethrowers. These are meant to be mass-produced Mandalorians. See, I know that neither of you actually watched the sequels, since you don't speak well of them like I do. But see, that was a line that gets made fun of from the sequels. I was setting you up. It's a, no, don't worry about it. Moving on. I kind of liked 8 and 9. I'll say this. Um, you know, like, I kind of, like, like, Spencer, you, you have to do, like, 
way too much podcasting with me. Like I go through cycles of being interested in shit. I think that's very safe you do. to say. You do. Like, Up and one, down. Yes. Yeah. Like one day, one day I'm like wildly fascinated and like, I don't know, tea. And then the next day it's like, um, you know, this particular book series, the next day it's cooking, the next day it's whatever. So I real recognize real Moff Gideon is totally that type of guy because he clearly had a cloning phase and now he clearly had a Mandalorian <laughs> phase. He just gets interested. In oh stuff. man. <laughs> His teens were a rough period. He just gets interested in stuff. And look, right now, this is Mandalorian period. He said, oh, we're going to go live on Mandalore. I'm going to build me a bunch of Mandalorian stormtroopers. I'm going to be a Mandalorian myself. He, he's look, still wearing look. his hot topic when he was a teenager, though, because he still has his dark trooper outfit. It's true. Look, I, I, like I bought a Vitamix. I bought an Instapot. I'm going to figure out how to cook something with the two of them together. Y'all have to figure out how to eat it. I'm going to make it. It's basically, uh, that's, that's Moff Gideon. I, I dig uh, it. My, my old stormtrooper complaint it's explicitly said that these guys are wearing Beskar. The primary means by which they die is getting shot. Alloy. Even wearing Beskar. No, no, that, have to die. I, I was bothered by that, but now I'm not. So it's Beskar alloy. It's not pure Beskar because Beskar is still hard to get, and he wanted to kit out you know hundreds and thousands of them or something. So it's like 50% yeah, did, Beskar? Alloy. Is it normal? What? So it's but, pretty good? But, most of the Mandalorians, though, are just wearing Beskar alloy. Only Mando has, was supposed to have completely pure. And, and a lot of them, them get shot. Down from yeah. being shot but, at sometimes. Well, the, very As few of them. His armor must be more pure or all the way pure because he's a tank and he can tank damage forever. Mo- most of the Mandalorians, oddly, seem to die or seemingly disappear off camera by being pushed off cliffs when they just flew in on jetpacks. Other mild complaint. But no, 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 that, that's that's canon. Uh, have you seen Boba Fett in uh, the the original movies? He got grabbed by a sarlacc. That's a whole different. He fact. fell off a boat. Also, he had his jetpack damaged. He had his jetpack damaged before he did too. Little known fact: the sarlacc only came around because Grogu. It's a big, big creature. <laughs> so I just want to make sure everybody continues to thread that needle. Why did I not see that? Hey. <laughs> Spencer, you remember when we were doing season one and season two Mandalorian coverage? This yeah. is a, this is absolutely a, is that Paz Vizsla's music situation when he just jumps in and he's got the gun? Just, yeah, yeah, absolutely that situation for him. Rex shop on these discount man, these discount stormtrooper Mandos. Shout out Paz Vizsla, man. What a, what a fucking ending for him. He just kicks a lot of fucking ass for about. Are, are, are we minutes. skipping ahead to, to, to that? I mean, it's not far, but we skipping to that because I have okay. About that. So when it's, I, when it's I, pretty much the next twenty minutes is just kicking ass. All right. So when but, I said different I'm people kick ass in different orders, and I just want to know because I want to talk about past these because I have opinions. Let, let, let Lee control the pace. All right. Uh, when I said we got to go quick on the recap, I'm going to have to skip some stuff. So if you want to go back to anything I skipped, just say, hey, I want to talk about whatever. You all like, right. I want to talk about Paz I'm not skipping anything. I'm trying to go fast. Okay. Let, let, let the man set the pace. We'll, so, we'll get there. Do you, all right. So this is where I'm at. I'm where Paz Vizzle's kicking people's ass for about seven minutes. All That's right. what I'm doing. Oh, oh, after the gate goes down, everybody else is running away? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Okay. Why the hell did he stay behind? They closed the blast doors that you can't through, And then she cut through. He could have just left with them. Why? I, I, I talked myself into an explanation on this, so I do have something. I'm not actually mad about it anymore, but this was my reaction at the time, and I want to hear your thoughts on it before I talk myself out of it in front of you and see if 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 initial me or later me is smarter. I I just wrote it off as rule of drama that, you know, he's a character. He, he's, a, he's a mauve shirt. He's a character that has some element of characterization and some element of screen time that we, we would care if he dies, and He's setting up dramatic tension for the last episode. 
So complete I, I, meta, but in character, it is as stupid as it seems, and there is no in character reason for it. Yeah. What's your take? I, I had I had no explanation, but the dude can leave. There's no need for him to die here. They're bulletproof. This is bulletproof people shooting bulletproof people for the last 20 minutes. There's no problem with him turning around, but he stays because drama. So uh, when there's a lot of action like this, I find myself like eyes kind of rolling in the back of the head a little bit. I don't think about it as much when it, it's flowing and there's like great pace and like exciting shit happening as I do like the the Law and Order episode. I did I did think a lot about that one because it was a little slower. So I don't know. I just didn't think that much about it. I I um I did kind of think uh, like uh, like Biden would say his iris was up. Maybe his blood was just boiling. Like he was just kind of like like a lot of uh what you call it? What's that shit? Uh, adrenaline. Adrenaline. He's got adrenaline rolling through him, and he just was fucking rolling. That's kind of what I took it as. I, got his I, Irish I, up. I hate all of that. I hate all of it. <laughs> Fair enough. They're all leaving, and he's like, "You're all idiots." They all idiots. No, he, he says, "I'm going to stay, <laughs> despite the fact that we can leave." I will tell you how I talked myself into not hating it anymore. Since I don't You're like the master of this, please tell right. us. He actually did not think he was sacrificing himself. He thought he would survive, and that was a reasonable guess because. They're shooting medium bullets at medium armored people and almost everybody's living, but he has big ass bullets with big ass armor. The people they had just been fighting can't hurt him and he can kill them. I think he expected to meet up with them later. And so he was a distraction, but also going to kill like hundreds of them and then walk away himself. Was uh, what he, he actually thought in character would happen. So he, he suffered from my ultimate Halo flaw. He was trying to pad his kill count before he left the game. Yes, but he he thought he did not actually think it was a sacrifice. He thought it was a measured, reasonable risk that he could die, but probably wouldn't, and that he would buy them some time and distraction and everything, and take out a lot of guys in the meantime. To be fair, he wouldn't have died if not for the absolutely unaccounted for Praetorian guards, which he didn't expect at all. All right, so that's how I talked myself out of it. I hope you were amused by me talking to myself there, but I'm still kind of grumpy about it, but it kind of makes sense, I guess. Do you find your... He would have lived if not for them. Do you find your own explanation ultimately satisfying? That's the no, question. No, but I here. think it should because I, I don't have a counter to my own counter. I was hoping you all would say something because it doesn't feel satisfying, but intellectually I'm satisfied. It, it, it can work. It can provide a cover. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. It, it does. It, it doesn't satisfy me. Yeah. Anyway. Jamie's really good on the podcast. He's been really good this season about saying, these are all the things I like. Uh, I want this all to happen. And then it happens and he's like, still don't like it. Like it's a lot of metacognition <laughs> with him. Like he, he like, he'll, he'll think about himself thinking. It's like, I, I like to see that. Uh, I, um, so that, that's what happens with Buzz Pizzle, right? Eventually, um, the Praetorian guards come out, but, 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 but a little bit before that, they take Mando off. Now, um, Question for you all on this. We're just about to the end of this this episode. Um, did anybody think like so? There was the, the internet had just about convinced itself they were going to kill Mando off in the in the final. Yeah. Did, did either one of you buy into that? But going no. into the final no. episode, no, I, no, no, no. I no. said it was possible. I, I I had said it was possible. Um, the only person who had actually invincible plot armor was Grogu. No, Bo Bo was not Bo. Bo had plot armor. Mando had plot armor. Grogu had marketing armor. Yeah. 
Yeah, marketing armor. Get out of here with that shit. Bomber. He he had he had two years of training with Luke. Like he had he has more in his back pocket than people realize. Like he was going to be safe. He he has a he has a means of protecting himself now. So, uh, oh, I, I was just going to say, I thought it was possible but unlikely that Mando would die. He he still is the Mandalorian, and it's amusing to have other people also be the Mandalorian. But he's our guy. Like if you want to have a spinoff series, you're going to have to call something else. Was, Mando's not. One of the main characters, it's not Mando. Yeah, I I was zero percent on the possibility of him killing off Mando. Didn't think it was at all single, possible. Single, single digit odds for I, him I, and single digit odds for uh, for I, Bo. I, I I would have put a substantial amount of money at whatever odds anyone wanted that it wasn't going to happen. Uh, and one clarification from earlier: uh, the dark trooper suit that. Gideon is wearing is forged with Beskar alloy. The ones that we previously saw were not. That explains why Luke was able to cut through them like How do you know that? with his lightsaber. Would you, did you Google that or something? No, I just saw Gideon's explicitly said that this suit is forged with Beskar alloy, and if the prior suits had been, then Luke wouldn't have been able to cut, them, cut through them so easily with his lightsaber, given the well, new anti-lightsaber properties they're giving Beskar on the show. I feel like the word alloy can carry a lot of weight, can do a lot of the heavy lifting here on hand-waving away how strong or not Beskar is at any time. Because you can't put, like... You know, what's what's that weird fake, like, scam science where you put, like, one molecule of something in a thousand molecules? Oh, you say, I, all things. yes. You, you, you can't magically make an entire army of Beskar from, like, an ounce of it. But an alloy means it's not 100%. So This is this is based on a true story. What is? This is ba- – that's the same function that based on a true Homeop- story does. Homeopathy. Homeopathy. Yeah, it's like – well, you could just drive a truck through based on a true story. Alloy could oh. be oh, any, yeah. oh. any measure. Yeah. Exactly. So, <clears throat> yeah, anytime they say alloy, I, I actually – in you, it may or may not be satisfying from a story perspective or make things feel like they're the right amount of protection. Like may, might not feel like the right amount of people are dying too much or too little from being shot at. But, you know, a 10% Beskar alloy is probably still pretty darn good, what? but it's not as good as a 90% alloy. Well, I, 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 since season two and even some of them in season one, I want Beskar to be less effective. I actually would like if the Mandalorian's level of alloy protection was what these stormtroopers are providing and the stormtroopers are even less or something, just because they've made best, people wearing prop, full Beskar essentially invulnerable now. So yeah, I'd but, be fine if they reduce it. Or, or just an alligator shows up and eats half their number. As alligator, I live in Florida. That happens. <laughs> an alligator bit my sister once. Happens. Again, alligator shows up. Grogu draws the animals to him. Anyway, yeah. All right. So let's go to the next episode. How about that? Do you want to do the next episode? Because pa- spoiler alert: Paz dies. He's done. He's gone. He does, and the the fight with the regular stormtroopers beforehand, it, it was getting a little bit long, and they were just killing them off like they were video game characters. Fight with the Emperor's Guard, I was impressed. So and nice to see those guys wreck some shop. Let's make a distinction. They're Praetorian guards. They are Praetorian different. Than, they're they're different than the the guards that were that we saw in the first six movies. They're different than the other red robed guards that you know are are in the league capacity. I understand. Well. It, I mean, it kind of makes sense, though, right? Because, like, Snoke is being controlled by the Emperor. Yes. And he is styling himself after the Emperor. It would make sense that his royal guard, he would well, he would dress the same way. Also, Praetorian Guard were the guards of emperors in Rome. So it's a different, just a term for Imperial Guard. You know how I know that? 
because I was Googling, Googling the Praetorian Guards uh, uh, to try to figure out more about them. And I was like, wait a second, these are real. <laughs> yep. It happened back in Rome. So, I mean, from a meta perspective, the thing with Pazvizla was kind of just showing how him and his, you know, he's still a tank. It's, but these things are so much better. You know, it's the idea of you introduce it's a giant monster and show up and kill them to show how cool this new guy is. Super important point. Those three got rid of Paz with very little problem. It's the war it, effect. There are eight of them in total protecting Snoke, and it did did really kind of push Ray and Ben Solo to have to kill those eight. Like it, it was, it was difficult for those two uh, Jedi level people to do it. That shows how strong they are. Very important for when Grogu kicks their ass later. Just when <laughs> uh, so we start wait, in the middle wait, of the battle. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying Grogu's going to kick ass later? Yeah, but like a fucking oh, hot. Oh, wow, I did It's so excited. We start in the middle of the battle. But when her crew are running off, she asks for Axe uh, Wolf. And he uh, tells her Moff Gideon is alive and he's using Mandalore as his home base. So she's like, oh, 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 oh. she's like dropping all the knowledge, right? It, is Axe just fla- using his jet plaque to file s- straight up into the upper atmosphere? Yeah. Well, he's not one of the dumb ones who have jet packs with like three ounces of gasoline in them. He fuels up because he's prepared. <laughs> Dick Wolf. The, the, okay, this is again... Why set up these things have limited fuel capacity a few episodes ago if he's going to fly into the upper atmosphere just straight up with this thing? I, I think we're showing off that the armorer's crew are bad at their jobs. I'm okay with this. I like your right. theory. Let's keep that going. Yep. The there's idea a, that There's a reason why the smart one is the one who got to be in charge. He's the only smart one who brought, like, a second tank. <laughs> Look, guys, the, the idea that somebody in a metal suit can go through atmosphere, I mean, you're just going to have to just park that like that's got that let's not go too deep what do you think spaceships are yeah it, iron think, man iron man's on earth sir. yeah I, I think the idea that he might get he might get overheated or burned a little bit in that process uh I, yeah i don't know I, it just it doesn't seem Steal his mask they okay well then, this. okay well then it, worked, then it worked perfectly it for great you. it worked perfectly for you it was absolutely absolutely perfect for jamie uh so more troops come in. <laughs> Bodhi says, I take charges to blow them up. She's got some bombs, something like hand grenades. Mando means, meanwhile plays dumb. He's like, kind of like, oh, he goes limp. He goes, he fish by guys. Please stop guarding the hero with two random dudes. Well, stop it. Just look, stop. They, they at least hand waved an explanation with Mando, like laying limp, right? Like, so they felt like he, well, I don't know. That, that's plain possible. Why? I mean, it's like, you've got the hero. Why are you leaving him with two dudes alone? Well, forget that. Separate from everyone else. Why does Why does Gideon need to debrief him so badly? Why the hell did I Gideon just know. kill him? Just kill him. Just kill him. You don't he, need. There's nothing he can tell you. So I didn't understand it, that. Oh, you can argue whether it's smart or not, and Gideon is smart, but he's also really full of himself, really overconfident, and he is true. the master of secrets. This guy knows things that Gideon doesn't know. Even if it's just, I need one of these folks in the upper echelon of these alive to tell me how these crews got together, because it bothers me not knowing. I'm not the smartest person in the room if they know something I don't. Grab if that's it. important to you, send three guys. No, no. These guys have Beskar alloy. That means they're worth three guys. We've seen it doesn't work! Also, how did, where does Grogu come from here, actually? Grogu uh, rescues Mando here. Yeah, so he clearly turn he clearly turns around, right? Like so when um Bo and her folks are bar booking it, um he tur- he he turns around and goes back toward where Mando is. Um 
and get through all of the Imperial troopers that were presumably in the way? Did you see him throw the fucking Praetorian guards around, bro? He can throw people. He's got the force. Yes, he absolutely did that. Easy peasy for Grogu. Not a, not an issue. W- would have Baby loved to have seen that on camera. Me too. Oh, I would be even more insufferable. I, not sarcastic. That's that. what happened. I wanted to see that. He, well, that or maybe he didn't run across many. Maybe, you don't know how they scattered after, you know, maybe they... they a lot of those folks might have been chasing those people. I think there's a lot of in-world explanations. I think the important thing, though, for the, the for all of us to take away them all. is that he Grogu like very clearly left the safety of the group to go back for dad Rescue and put, him, dad. put himself in trouble, like yeah. in, in, in harm's way, right? Because we, we all agreed, Mando is his dad, right? Just 100 yes. percent dad. No, no, no need no, no, for no, any no, official no, other no. titles or anything else. Dad, now, no. Nope. I don't think it's official. I don't think it's official. Oh, God, uh, he, he needs to go down to the courthouse to get the official license, I guess, in Mandalorian society. What, what, yeah, I don't know, Spencer, really are you married? Like, tearjerker for an audience who happened to be watching when he actually says it out loud? Because I feel like it's been implied for, like, 300 hours of TV show already. Um, am I supposed to really care if he says it out loud? Uh, this, this, is kind of, this is the debate we were having before this episode, is that I'm already emotionally committed. I don't need labels, but this episode thinks that's the most important thing ever. Are you married? I'm yes. still very much emotionally committed. I don't know. Like, this uh, I, I, Here's something I know for a fact. You will be more excited about my wedding than I will. Oh, <laughs> and it plays out for this episode, too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, look, let, let me be clear about something. I... This is not this end of the season is not as good as season one and season two, but Grogu handling those Praetorian guards with Mando is is like. Shall, shall we jump ahead to that? Like, yeah, well, let, 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 let's let's work our way through the next ten minutes of battle so that we can have his thing. Oh, let me. So, last thing on that until we get there. I have seen this episode twice. I have seen that fight scene six times. Just say that. I, That's all I'm saying. I, I, okay. I would have made money on that one, yeah. <laughs> one of the troopers is about to shoot Mando in the head. Grogu in IG-11 grabs the gun and says, no, no, no. Mando and, kills the and guard. Pointedly, and I was about, I was about to make, uh, I, I realized this on a rewatch, he crushes the gun, which yeah. explains why Mando has no guns later. Because I was wondering why Mando was completely disarmed later when he had two troopers they could have gotten the guns from. Both the guns break in the scene. So credit where it's due, they, they worked that out. Yeah, and, and it, you know, there was a lot of, in the fight that Mando had with the two guards, there was a lot of blowtorch in going around, a lot of flames going around. Grappling and I and think that, stuff. I think Grogu got, got a little emotionally worked up and just sprayed back to like crazy in his face. Like, heel, 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 heel. Mando's like, I'm good, I'm good. And he's like, no, no, you know, I have to fix you now. You can't be hurt. This reminded me of my, of my, my five-year-old niece just with a full box of Band-Aids, just using all of them to fix the problem. It's just like, no, yeah. enough Band-Aids will fix everything. I, I actually, like, I joke around about Grogu a lot because it's funny, and I'm, I know I'm a mark for Grogu. We'll use a wrestling term. I'm an absolute mark for Grogu. But I sure. will say that um, him getting really scared for Mando and spraying the back to a lot, and then the, the noise he made, um, when he goes in with the Praetorian, when the Praetorian guards are attacking him later, when he just goes, Arr! like they're, they are, they're doing a really good job with the puppet for me to convey like emotion. And I both, I was like, both of those scenes was like, oh shit, like they're, they're showing me like a bit of a range in Grogu here. All right. Um, only prop I have problem with, Gro- with Grogu puppet the whole season, Grogu walking has never been that great, but Grogu walking this season looks really, really fake. 
everything else with respect to like the emotions and the interactions and the, and the physicality or particularly like the expressions and the voice of Grogu, all top notch. Grogu walking for some reason though has rubbed me wrong this season. It's there's specific this episode. There's specific walking scene at the end. We'll get there. I want to talk about that because I have a theory. Um, all right. So he cuts Mando loose. Mando tells Grogu, we gotta be brave. All right. Can you be brave for me? He's like, got it, pop. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Son, Cause son Gideon gotta die. That's yeah, absolutely ready to do this. Like, let's roll. Because there's this really cool moment where he, he looks at him and he goes, are you with me? And Grogu actually nods, gives him a quick affirmative nod and off they go. Uh, Mando asks Bo to, um, come in and he says he escaped. Come in, Bo, come in. Uh, Jamie, got something? I just want to say, that's a really good point where they didn't overuse the yes, no buttons. Mm-hmm. Like more, it was so much more effective that they could just have that little bond kind of recognition. I expected them to use it and for me to roll my eyes, and they didn't. And this show has um, shown, I feel like, a very appropriate amount of restraint most of the time. Like, not too much, not too little. They hit that mark most of the time. We talk about it all the times when they missed, but that was just a moment. They, It would have been very easy and a little funny or something. But they didn't. They just held, they held that back to keep it, keep it funny, keep it fun, keep it not annoying. And they, they were smart. I agree. So Bo basically says, like, I got to get everybody to safety. And Mando's like, I understand, but I'm going after Gideon. He then calms R5 and he's like, R5, get to work. I need some help. Mando tells Grogu they got to get to Gideon and they take off. Um, Wolves arrives at the light cruiser. This is a light cruiser that he, that he arrives at. When he gets there, he runs the control room and he tells everybody to leave. I gotta say, it's just this, uh, Dick Wolf here is really heroic. I mean, unbelievable. He sends everybody out. He know, he basically the, what's the maneuver that Laura Dern does in the, in the sequel movies? There's a particular maneuver name they gave it. Um, uh, it's a kamikaze kind of maneuver we're doing here. Yeah, but they, but they gave the, in the, in the movies, Laura Dern said she was doing a specific move. Um, when she runs, the, run, the, the ramming always works when she sacrifices herself on the ship. I thought that's what they were doing here with wolves. And, uh, actually the actor said that that is what they originally filmed, that they uh, had originally filmed for him to die in the light cruiser, sacrificing himself. And I guess they thought it was a little too on the nose with the sequel scene with Laura Dern. So anyway, they pulled it. I, he, I'm he survived. so glad they did that and that they pulled it because I, I thought they were having him sacrifice himself. First I thought maybe he was going to turn on them or something. Cause Quick side note, that prior episode was called Spies. We saw one spy. Who who are the spies? I was waiting for the just, other spies. Just, just intro spy, that's it. Prologue spy. Yeah, uh, anyway, I was waiting for there to be a second spy. I thought he was going to turn. Then I thought he was going to sacrifice himself, and I was really frustrated at how stupid that is. The idea that they can't program this thing to crash itself. I get maybe why they had to in those sequel movies have her, somebody there managing it. But just... Letting the ship crash, letting the bullets. Haldo, Haldo maneuver or something like Haldo that. Haldo maneuver. Okay. Um, now, I, 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 I assumed that he was just gonna like leave like the hyperspace out because he just says like he's gonna be a distraction for them. But from a visual standpoint and just from like an emotional standpoint, him riding that thing down to crash into the base and then exiting out the window at the last second was quite successful, and I enjoyed it. I liked it too. I, I did too. I, I liked how they did that. Um, he was able to better pilot than a droid would have. A droid could have crashed it, and so they had the droid crash or the onboard computer do the crashing. And he used his jetpack instead of falling, you know, like falling off of a boat. 
into some sand for no damn good it, reason. It's part of the reason I was kind of like asking, is this guy part of the lore elsewhere? Because we haven't seen much of him, but I'm kind of in with him being a badass and interesting. Yeah, so he um, he he has the, the light cruiser, and he successfully is able to get the TIE interceptors to him, which allows the uh, reinforcements to go down in atmosphere to back up Bo. The armorer is leading those folks. This is the point where I figured out the armorer wasn't going to turn, and I was like, holy shit, all right, well, I guess we're just getting... Good guy armor. I, she, she never turns, so whatever. Um, yep. cuts Amando as he is, uh, creeping down the hallways toward Gideon with Grogu and IG 12 in tow. Mando explains he doesn't have any weapons. He asks, he tells Grogu that I don't have any weapons, so it's gonna get, gonna get a little messy here. He asks R5 to deactivate the barrier shields one at a time on his command. He's doing that because the soldiers are actually split between these individual rooms, and this way he can take them on sort of one group at a time. This is multiple callbacks going on here. Favreau loves to do this, so does Filoni. It's a callback to The Phantom Menace where you had the similar type um, breaks in the hallway during the duel, and it's also a callback to R2-D2, um, you know, working the working the little controller panel uh, in assistance yeah. as they go, right? <clears throat> so multiple callbacks here from, from the, some of the original movies. Uh, Mando takes out the first two, others behind the other barriers try to open the shields, but they can't. They've been overridden by R5. Shout out. But when Mando calls up the R5, R5 does open the shield. Hugely helpful for Mando. Mando's kicking ass here. Mouse droid comes over to R5, so we get a little mouse droid. I think they, they, they just can't. They gotta make Comment. it light, Spencer. Gotta make it light. Gotta yeah, it light. I, yep. I, I loved, I, I kinda loved that little thing, honestly. Because I loved the moment of, what is it gonna do? And the answer is, no, it's Not best. Much. It's gotta do its best. I, I mean, just from a comedy standpoint, I did chuckle when the herd of mouse droids then shows up to wreck shop there in a second. I, I did expect like the mouse droid to go tell some bipeds about this, and then like some dark troopers or some Beskar troopers to come no, put no, a stop no, to no. the hacking. Mouse droids are ride or die. They are here for each other. <laughs> Mousetroid comes over to R5, starts attacking him, irritating. Mando keeps asking for the next shield, but R5's dealing with that Mousetroid. Mando keeps asking, next shield, next shield, come on, R5, next shield. Finally, he's able to do it. Mando does a wonderful baseball slide in, taking out a few of the guys on his way. He eventually gets out the last one, and Mando gives praise to R5, but all the Mousetroids have shown up. It's a gang situation. They're bullying our guy, R5. He's eventually able to take off with his little, uh, his jetpack. I, I uh, did, I, I was, I kind of eye-rolled and kind of loved at the same time the RPG style leveling up, kill the one bad guy who only has a club, kill the next guy, okay, now I have a plus two shield. Next bad guy. This, this kind of scene fun. was so video game. It, it, was, was, it was so video game. Un- unspeakably. And I, I don't know how I feel about it. I loved and hated it in equal measure, I think. Yeah, it felt that way to me, too, and I don't even play much video games, but it did feel that way to me, too. It's like ne- the next next thing, next year. Um, so the inter, I, I, Grogu and IG-12 then comes out, and follows him, they enter another room, and there are clone bodies in tanks. Grogu looks closer, and it's perfectly clear that these are clones of Moff Gideon himself. One of them opens its eyes. I did not understand the eye-opening thing. That, that I, be I, scary. I, I got to handle that. That doesn't make any sense. Um, scaring Grogu in the process. That does scare Grogu. Grogu was traumatized by his time with Moff Gideon, so he is scared of that guy's face. That makes sense. Mando powers down the area with the tanks. The tanks burst, presumably killing all the clones housed within. Mando and Grogu take off. Hi, clones that we've been setting up for three seasons. Bye, clones that we've been setting up for three seasons. 
So, um, so quick moment. Gideon says you killed all my clones. And first of all, lock them up a little better. Don't put like a button that explodes them all. I'm just saying like his, his security yeah. for Mandalorians are in here and I'm lowering them into my base was a bit low. Um, he says they died before they took a first breath. That one clearly was like awake. There is a show of hands. Is there a Moth Gideon clone running around right now who's going to show up again? No, the, I don't think so. They're reserving, the, they're reserving their rights, but I'm inclined to think no. I think they're I'm clearing the board yes, for Thrawn. Mostly just to be contrary. But that way, if I'm right, I'll sound really smart. I'll tell you when I knew that Thrawn was really dead. And it was Gideon. not – yeah, Gideon was really dead. It was not when he was – when his clones dies, and it was not when he gets blown up at the end. Of the, it was when he's talked shit to, about Thrawn at the beginning. I was like, this guy's not going to fucking make it. Like, <laughs> you can't <laughs> – this, you are this, a level one boss, sir. Nah, man, this level of animosity toward Thrawn's not going to make it all the way till the Thrawn movie. Like, he's got to go. Um, so we cut to the Mandalorians. We have this cool little scene, although it does seem a little bit out of place, where they just sort of stumble upon this vegetation, this farm that the guys who were stuck on the planet had made in Mandalore, and they just see that, like, things can grow there. Again, this this should have been an episode like two when they were first on Mandalore. This should have been a scene with Bo meeting her own people and setting this up. Now it is just tonally out of place to have it right here. Episode, put it in the episode of the spies. This is in the middle of this battle. It doesn't work. There's so I feel like they could have set up so much, but Mandalore and the connections of Bo and these other people with it earlier in this season. So, getting a counterpoint though. If you have action, 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 you, the audience becomes numb to it. Did this serve an actual good purpose of a maybe not incredibly plausible, but at least does kind of make sense moment for the audience to be able to breathe between action scenes? Maybe. It, it is a functional role of giving us a breath. It's not a very effective like in-story role for that. Like you could have executed the maybe. breath better. Maybe they needed a breath. They're tired. My answer to that is that's probably I, I would I'd imagine there's some sort of Hollywood sort of calculation on this shit. Yeah, that's probably why they did it. It didn't work for me. Like I'm with Spencer, it just didn't. I, it I, wouldn't, I, I, it I didn't feel like I needed a break. Better. I liked it. I thought it was neat, but I, I could have been done better. Could have been given more time. Probably in a different episode. I do agree. But, uh, and I'm, I, this is, I'm in the same category of where I'm primarily frustrated because, oh man, that's really interesting. And we're moving on. But like, now I'll tell you. No, no, no. Yeah. What? You're right. There should have been more about gardening and less about this whole Praetorian guard Grogu scene oh. that really ran too long. We need more gardening scenes. I'm, I'm with, I'm actually 100% with you, but we'll get there in a minute. But no, I'm talking about gardening scenes earlier when it's got time to breathe. Okay. So after the, plant life can be sustainable here scene. Mm. We hit about 10 minutes where I just slipped into being a Star Wars fan and I just had a blast with the episode. Uh, it starts with this line, Lady Kreese, your reinforcements have arrived in that really thick accent the armorer has. And then mm. you see all of the folks coming down and then Bo says, let's take our planet back. And they sort of join forces and rally. That was kind of awesome to me. We get like a, a we get like an aerial jetpack battle, right? Well, like people were just smacking each other in the air. The armor is literally hitting people with hammers while flying through the sky. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what it's that what happens ends up happening later and you get the I mean, you know, obviously like it's poster stuff, but like, you know, you get the dark saber from uh, band uh from Bo. I will say this. Jamie and I went long 
Some might say too long, arguing if it made sense for the armorer to fight with her hammer and whatever a few episodes ago. Who, who said it was too long? Was these comments online you didn't share with me? What are their names? I don't hear about this. <laughs> some, people, some people might not want to hear us bicker for 30 minutes. But anyway, we went on, we had a big argument about that. So, I'd like, I, I'd like I, to say, can I, hold on, give me a second. I'd like to say I was wrong. This was just fucking cool. Like the fact that she had the big hammer and she's wheeling around in that fucking jetpack hitting people in the head with a fucking hammer. That worked for me. It was just cool. So, so on the same way that you thought I was going to like the, um, the law and order episode, I saw the times would be like, Lee is going to have a heyday. She's, she's going in with her hammers again. And it bugged me a little bit because we talked about it, thought about it. Like this is impractical. Then I saw her with a dark saber. I thought, but wait, I, I don't have any problem with her going ham with the dark saber. And the hammer's approximately as effective as the Darksaber. So it makes a moderate amount of sense, and it's really cool. And they did show her shooting a blaster later, once once everything slowed down a little bit. Um, she they just showed, likes it. She, she just well, you know, enjoys the violence more when it's more hands-on. I think it kind of makes sense when you're when you're speeding through, like, to not try to figure out a blaster to just whack people, but once they got kind of slowed down and they were going 1v1, she did pull a blaster out, so that all worked for me. I thought that scene was really cool, the mid-air jetpack fight thing. I liked it. Let us think of it as mounted archers in ancient combat. They'd still have, like, their swords for when they got close to folks. Yeah, like, so that happened a lot. That happened a lot when the Danes invaded um Leave it over England. Here. I can't and, even tell if you're faking this or not, but I'm going to believe you, whatever you say next. And like, the cool thing, did, did you know that England wasn't a country then? It was actually Wessex, North. Anyway, um yeah, uh, that's a pretty cool part of history. Uh, it's, like, it's like you're also just wrong. The famous flaw in Anglo-Saxon tactics was the lack of horse infantry, lack of lack of mount, mounted combat. Yeah, I, I was thinking like but, Mongols, but I'm not actually sure if I'm right when I think that. It's just you are. like the right culture that had mounted archers. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to find every opportunity to mock Lee and his just utter passionate love of the last kingdom and its understanding of history through that. There was oh. very little horse battles in the last kingdom because the people on the on the what would become England, it wasn't England at the time, didn't have horses. I, uh, they I think were in battle it's because with. the people making cool. that didn't have enough animal handlers, and they didn't want to have to it, say that animals had been injured in the making of the thing you're talking about. What well, he's also it's also right. Neither side between the Danes and the and the Angles and the Saxons would have used horse combat much. They would have ridden the horses to the battle and then gotten off. But we're well, completely off script now. Let's get back to the How do Danes ride horses? Dogs don't fit in saddles. I've seen her do- Okay, let's please get back to Mandalorian before I actually respond to that point. Cuts to Mando and Grogu slinking around the in the dark. A door opens. Mando walks over. In comes Gideon. He is angry. Mando destroyed his clones. He says they were the best parts of him with the Force. So I guess that's what they were using Grogu's blood for. Is he doing like a bit of a Darth Maul homage with the spiked helmet? Yes, because we, yeah, we, sure. we, so. we we see that he's a, he's a Force wannabe, that, you know, he's a Force super yes. fan. So if he, if he was going to wear his, but it always looked very Darth Vader-y, I, it would make sense if he's going to look at Darth Maul and Lodge with the helmet. I would be surprised if he if he did. Um, yeah, that, that could work. Uh, then we get a fight between Mando and Gideon, and I got to say this. Um, Gideon gets the best of Mando. He's he's kind of he's kind of whooping Mando here. And then the pre, three Praetorian guards show up. Now, I love wrestling fan that I am, that they have their own entrance music. Oh, 
as soon as these guys mm-hmm. walk in, they get the choral like music, and um, you, you're supposed to know that these guys don't fucking play around. Like they are the best fighters in what is left of the Empire later, the First Order. That's what they are. They're the best. Um, so that's why they have their own interest music. They start attacking Mando, and it's pretty much the same sequence as we saw with Paz Pizla. Like it, they had him dead to rights. Like yep. he was defeated. He was dying, and in comes Grogu, and Grogu makes a noise that, as a Grogu fanatic, absolutely ball of emotion. It was I, this angry. I didn't notice the noise. I need you to impersonate it now for me. Can't do it. He, uh, it was an angry squeal where he and he's his eyes actually like tightened up, and you can see him ball his fist up, and he just kind of went like real angry as he walked in, and you can tell it was just. Ball of emotion, you know, he's just fired up in the moment. And they did a great job of conveying that to me of the character. So I thought it worked. Dark side of the force? Really? It's surprising. No, 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 no. He's bagging the no. He's bagging the no, bagging the no. And then he backs up, allowing the Praetorian guards to actually come into the room with him, getting them away from Mando. And they attack Grogu as Mando continues to fight Gideon. Heartbreaking thing about this scene. At this point, I'm not sure Grogu has shown Mando quite what skills he's got when he's backed in the corner. Like, I mean, he's seen a little bit of it, but it seemed to me they, they were playing this scene to think that Mando thought Grogu had just sacrificed himself and was going to die at that moment. Like that's he was, what he, he was certainly happened. worried about it. Yes. He didn't know that when pressed in a corner, Grogu can handle some three Praetorian guards. He didn't know that. I didn't know that either. So the armor is sure kicking some ass. I kind of like that. Bo is too. The Praetorian guards destroy IG-12, but Grogu jumps up on a ceiling light fixture, has a little fun. If you watch this very slowly, like I have, um, you will notice that he actually giggles at one point. So what I like to see... I thought he did. I thought that was just my imagination. He did, yeah. He's yeah, having what, a blast. Yeah, what I like to see is people have fun in their work. You know? <laughs> you know, he's having a good time during a work day. He's figured out a way to, to work some joy into his day. So he does giggle at one point, but he starts to get out of breath toward the end of it, and that's when he falls. And he's got the things over him. Now, if you are the markiest of marks people who just don't like absolutely would fall for the guess your weight thing at the carnival. You might think Grogu was in real physical trouble here. I assure you he was going to fling those fuckers away from him if he had to, but Mando shows up, shoots him in the back and then we get that fight scene. Yep. Anything on this you guys want to talk about? Uh, no, it, it's a, it's an okay fight scene. I, mean, it, I, know, I know you enjoy Grogu wrecking shop, but from purely mechanical standpoint, I mean, he he, he was fine. he was beaten. It, the power of friendship, the two of them together, were, were handedly able to beat three Praetorian guards. Neither of them on their own could beat three Praetorian guards. That is what we literally just saw. Yeah, that's not what I believe. Um, I think that Grogu, <laughs> Grogu, when physically threatened, that's when he's able to tap in the Force. Uh, you're you're, you're making your own celebrity deathmatch in your head. That's literally the opposite of what we saw on screen, and then wanting us to buy into your version of who would win. But we don't. We literally we just don't. Them fight. We literally don't know what would have happened if that guy had brought the the bow down. Because at one point, the he the Praetorian guard does bring a bow down in front of Grogu, and he stops him. So we don't know if he would have stopped him when he had the things on him too. Like we don't. We really don't know that. So, so going back to the Vizel fight, uh, he wasn't knocked out yet, but he was losing. At the end there, he was getting fewer points than the guards were. And I can tell you from genre savviness that he would have died because if he could have done it himself, you would not have needed Mando to show up then. 
Okay. Well, that, I mean, I don't, that, that, that's okay. Uh, but I, I, I've, I've made something that's not necessarily true at all, but there's also no real way to engage with it. That's yeah, winning. I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know how to argue your, your concept of genre savviness, but I can say that he does it, he does later in the fight when a, uh, a Praetorian guard goes down to try to hit, cause finally, cause like one thing that's kind of realistic in this fight is that they don't really know if they're supposed to be killing this thing or not. These guys just got there. They're, like, they're kind of confused. Yeah, they they literally just got there. Like the, he had, we we know that Gideon had just called them in, and this strange little creature just shows up and is like, "Get some!" And they're like, "Am I supposed to kill this fucking thing?" So they're kind of confused. But once he starts knocking them down, pushing their weapon away, force pushing them, one of them gets hit to the job and turns around and tries to take a swing at him. And when he does that, Grogu just stops him midair. And that's what makes me think that like when he is. You know, really physically threatened, right on the edge of being hurt, killed, named, whatever. That's when he can tap into it a little stronger. So we don't really know what would have happened if they would have attacked him. But obviously they were trying to show that Mando, his his priority was to come back in to help Grogu. And those two together did kill three Praetorian guards. And you start to do the math. It took Ray plus Ben Solo a while to kill eight. And those two were able to kill three. So I think it's pretty good math on their part. Yeah. So Grogu is less than half of Ray because Ray is great. Look what you did, Lee. You d- you just told me that Grogu is less than half as strong as Ray. Well, I, well, no, I didn't. He, he did kind of math this. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I, no, you no, said he didn't. This earlier. I've been doing the math the whole time. No, that isn't. First off, Ray took on four. I mean, okay. I mean, well, first off, this this version of Grogu, yeah, Ray probably could beat this version of Grogu in a fight. He's a fucking toddler. Yeah, she probably could. I would hope she could. Uh, for her, like, sake. you brought that yeah. into this, like, but I, I'm I'm saying you're you're right. He's still he's literally he's still a foundling. He's not as he's he's not in his final form. But are we sure? Are we sure that Gro that that Ray and Ben Solo split that task equally? Are we sure that Ben Solo maybe didn't carry the load there for Ray a little I, bit? I have are no we sure? recollection. Are we sure? Because maybe, no, maybe I'm, I'm not. I, I literally don't know which of them did more. It was about fifty-fifty, yeah. I think, because that makes for good storytelling. I don't know. I'm also not sure that they couldn't have killed more. I I don't know. I think it's I think that we're supposed to be impressed that the two of them were able to kill these three things because they've been yes. set up as these big bad best of the best fighters. I mean, they're so important that Gideon had to put a special call in to just get three of them. And between the two, they were able to kill him. And I think that's kind of important for what we'll set up in later seasons, because obviously they're setting up for at least up season four. I think season five will blend into the movie, but at least season four, they're off on their own adventures. They're fighting the empire via the contracts with the new Republic. So they've powered up. They've, as a couple, they've clearly powered up in, in, in their ability to fight. So what they're able to take on in season four probably has increased. And I will say, actually, that you're right. It took uh, Ray and Ben a long time to beat those eight. Like they were, that could have gone either way. Um, as opposed to this, where separately they were both getting. You can argue about Grogu having a, a avatar state that he was about to go into or something, but they both lost separately. But together. They really had those guards dead to rights the whole time. They now had control of the situation where they could just play defense and take their shots when they got their shots and just have a solid wall of defense. It was the two of them together easily beat three. We'll say could have beat four easily enough. So, you know, the two of them together are as good as 
a, a fanboy loser who likes Darth Vader costume too much. I'll say this: the, the way they set that fight up, I um, which fight? That was that was really offensive. What you said about Kylo Ren, by the way, like, <laughs> like phenomenally I offensive. He's like, like he's like the only character in the sequel movies I really really like. But I, I, no, I like, said it first. Snoke said actually, you know what? You just fucked me up because I do like Snoke too. So there's two. Um, okay, there you go. But the way that they 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 block that fight scene, that will work. John Favreau, I know you listen to the podcast. That will work for me in season four. If you have Mando in the scrum and you have Grogu, sort of just toss toss a weapon here, knock a knee out here, push this guy back there, like just little sprinkle in little things here and there. That worked for me. That blocking was cool. I loved it too. Like the, the comparisons are not so strong that I dislike them, but there is a lot of comparisons to be made here between uh, Grogu and um, Aang from Avatar The Last Airbender. Of He is, and like Luke and like most of the Jedi, careful, specific, perfect applications of the Force. Not blunt force force over somebody's head to just hit them with it. I'm going to just move your foot an inch to the left, and now you're fine, or now you're falling over. He's able to just do, look, I don't need to knock you over. I just need to move your weapon three inches further away so you can't reach it. And now I've turned the tide of the whole battle by doing that. Masters of careful application of force. I found it very, I found it, like, Spencer kind of hand-waved and said it was a mediocre fight to him. I found that blocking and, like, him doing just those little things. Like, I think I kind of tallied it. He did one, um, like, trip he did one knock a weapon away. He did one complete force push and one stop of a weapon. I didn't know it was that mediocre. Works for, I thought it was perfectly works. fine. I, th- I thought it was perfectly fine. I do not. That does not mean mediocre in Spencer language. Now oh. he could have just, if he wanted to apply less force and have the same outcome, he could have just done three of these little uh, crushier head, but like, oh, just squeeze a trachea. Doop, doop, doop. Three trachea oh. squished. I'm done. He could have done that. Oh. I'll actually clarify. I was a little bit more negative when Grogu was just alone, just kind of vaguely dodging and baby walking around the rafters. I was kind of rolling my eyes a little bit about that. Once Bando shows up, I'm pretty in. That was a that was that was a good well blocked fight. I, I felt the way too. I I honestly I had no strong feelings except flashbacks to three men and a baby um, when uh, he was walking around on the rafters and like falling down. I'm I'm sorry, Lee, that that part didn't do it for me the way it did for you. But I've only watched it once. I'm going to assume I'm wrong and that that part's actually secretly awesome, too. Um, but, yes, the two of them together was the best little tag team. It, just, it, it was amazing. And him on the I'm, side just, like, throwing spitballs at the perfect moment was so fun and smart and in character and effective. So it worked on every level. So I've watched that fight scene six times now. I'll say this. That, um, I, so what I, know, what I know about Grogu, what they have shown me on screen, what I know about Grogu, I know he can do the big flippy jumps. I know he's relatively quick when he needs to. I know he's good with the force when he's in physical danger. So I believe that he would be able to evade the Praetorian guards for a minute or two or whatever. What they showed me on screen looked kind of hokey. I'm with you. The, the jumping around and stuff. It didn't, it didn't look that great. Anyway, that's, I'm done with the recap. The rest of it's kind of boring to me. Um, the, you know, they have the ceremony at the Great Forge. He gets adopted. Well, um, uh, Bo, the Dark Bo gets destroyed. Forge, Dark Series yeah. is destroyed. Blah, so, blah, blah, well, blah. How, how are you, how are you breathing past that? I don't care. I'm done in with the Grogu scene. And in lore, it doesn't make any sense. Why would either of them crush the Dark Series? But they both really wanted it. Talk about it. Speak on it, guy. I'm mad. Like, Moff Gideon really wanted it. Clearly. He's always really wanted it. He valued it. He, even if he only valued it for the chaos it could wreck on these folks, um, he wanted it. 
Like, it, why would he have crushed it? She clearly wouldn't have crushed it. What the hell? Also, how frail is it that it can just be crushed like that? Uh, I, 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 I hated every part of that. And I also kind of hated that it didn't apparently matter. Like, even, even the characters didn't seem that phased by it. What the hell? Yeah, I, I just don't really get why they did it. It's just like, yeah. It's a big, it's a big deal you've been setting up since episode one. It's clearly a, a, a icon that matters. Are you making some kind of statement about, you know, the trinkets are important? You know, the magic was always in you anyway? Fine, but you kind of need to elaborate on that, and they don't. We just cut pretty much straight from that to a, you know, a royal kind of crowning scene. Nobody ever talks about it being gone, and like you said, Gideon, you're the one that always talked about how important the trinkets are, and now you're the one that's dismissing their relevance? While destroying it, somehow I, I thought it was made out. Of, I, somehow I thought it was made out of Beskar. Like uh, that was me adding it in, but I did kind of think that. Apparently not. Like I, I didn't think it'd be that easy to kill. So it should have been hard. They shouldn't have wanted to, and then they should have cared about it. What the hell? I, I didn't get the point of that. Okay, okay. Well, you have to defend it now because you apparently shrug at most. Like, you need to tell us this is okay. Hold our hands. Make us some tea and tell us it's okay. This is what I, this is what I led with the, the WWE comparison about the sort of pick and grab of what I like and stuff. Like, I was super fascinated with the Grogu fight. I'm just less fascinated with a lot of other stuff. Like, I know what they're building toward. They're building toward all of these folks banding together with the New Republic Alliance that Mando's going to form in Season 4 to fight Thrawn, and Thrawn will need to die before the sequel movies. So, like... I don't give a fuck about the dark saber because I kind of think I know where I'm, I kind of think I know where they're going. Like it's less important. We also know that like all of the the tribes of Mandalorians at this point are on board with Bo leading. She doesn't need the dark saber anymore. Maybe that's the poetic part of this. Is like she doesn't need that to rule anymore. Like she's ruling because of what Mando said. Her honor, character, lust, hustle, loyalty, respect. Shout out John Cena. That, that is a hundred percent what I think they're going for. They just didn't do it. If they're going to do it in a later season, they're missing their opportunity with respect to it. It's like, yes, the Darksaber is meant to be an icon more to the fandom and, you know, for the legacy of the characters. But it's, it is given more power than it perhaps should in both the mindset and the fandom and in the characters and universe. But if you want to go that route, you have to go that route. You can't just break it and then never return to something that everyone in universe and out regards as important and meaningful. Lee, what about all the minutes and hours of this podcast we talked about the dark saber? Those meant nothing to you. I'm good. I'm good. I don't really care. All right, so I think they're setting up that they're going to reforge the dark saber. Very possible. And I, I, I don't currently have a feeling about that one way or the other. Um, I would have expected if they were going to do that, if I were right, I honestly would expect them to say something about it this episode, but they didn't. So it feels like again. Most of the things I'm happy about in Star Wars, most of them, are things that I just feel are wasted. I think Spencer feels the same way, where it's just, this was good, and you could have done something, and you chose to just fart instead. I feel like the Darksaber is cool and interesting, and they just, oops, dropped it in lava, it's gone. I'm going to write a little fan, you guys ready for for my fan fiction? Please. So here's what's going to happen, right? They've they've got the new forge, right? And and the armor is going to say we have to reforge the dark saber because that's what you you, you know you're supposed to have Bo. And so Bo's going to say, great, do it. And they're going to get halfway through it, and they're going to go, hold on, we need a Jedi here, otherwise we can't make the blade go zoo and all that. 
And Grogu's going to go, I know a guy. And he's going to call Luke in. And Luke's going to be like, Grogu, you can't just fucking bring me here because your friends need a fucking favor. Like, like, and we get that sort of really we, fun. We broke up. Why do you still have my number? You get that sort of real fun conversation with Luke, like lecturing Grogu. Like, you can't just call me in because your buddies need a favor. Okay. Yeah. And then Luke, Luke bails. And then the whole thing never gets actually, actually made. And then there's no more Darksaber because I don't care about the Darksaber. And that's my thing. Option at Disney will make it a movie. It's close enough, right? Um, I think one of the cool things is that Ragnar, um, which is also the name of the guy uh, in the TV show Vikings, which is also really good, uh, also about sure. the Danes and the. It is Britain. also about them. <laughs> also, the whole thing uh, is basically basically the last King, horses. Last Kingdom 2.0. Uh, Ragnar. Oh, was well, the lesser Danes? I was talking about the Great Danes the whole time. I was understood. Yep, indeed. Ragnar's son is actually being like escalated, elevated in the organization, right? So it's kind of cool that when Paz died, like his son gets a part of the ceremony. Uh, Mando then adopts, formally adopts Grogu. He, uh, goes to his retirement home in Del Boca Vista, Florida with, uh, Grogu and they, they sit out and hang out. Grogu has a really cool moment with the, uh, frog where he's holding the frog and then they have this sort of Looney Tunes ending where the, the thing, and then it, boom, it's over. There you go. Okay. Done with the recap. That was that was probably my best recap ever, if I have to say. I, I do agree. I, just one small question: Shouldn't his name be Grogu Jaren rather than Din Grogu? Because Mandalorians put you know the first name first and the last name last, and his name is Grogu. Why? Why is he Din Grogu? I don't know how the Mandalorian's naming. Look, I don't. You, I don't know the Mandalorian naming convention. I don't know. I don't know. Look, you, you're the smart one. You tell us. It, it's Bo of House Crease. It is you know Django and Boba Fett being their last name. It is. It, why? Why is he not? Grogu Jaren. I, I. I. just don't. I can. This doesn't if, seem if, like if something they would fuck up. Reason I can make one up right now that is pulled entirely wholesale, fully formed out of my own ass and hand it to you if you want. I assume such about most of your opinions. Please, go okay. on. So, it's because it's because he doesn't have a house. He's a foundling. And so that's a different title for foundlings. And it's treated, it's like sir or something, but it's it's his it's, it's different when you actually have a Mandalorian family house versus when you're a foundling and a hedge knight of your own kind of thing. It's perfectly possible. Get the fuck out of Please. here, Spencer. He just decked you. That was awesome. No, no. I, I'm legitimately Down. asking for an explanation like that, and I would love if it was in story rather than be having to read it on a book. Uh, that, well, no, no, that's not in a book. We'll, there are no books inside of my ass. There's only opinions like this that are correct. I don't know that. We'll check later. We'll probably get an explanation <laughs> in the Mandalorian season. Shut, comic, shut up. Comic shut book. up. Shut up. Stop it. I will, that I will send to you against your will. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of with you though about the, the yada yadding a lot of like the back third of this episode of where a shit. lot a lot of the combat kind of started to get an almost like episode two attack of the clones ish of where it was just a lot of lights and I started tuning out for a bit of it um, and then like pretty much everything after Gideon's defeated there's a like ten minutes still there okay. it was just like checking boxes of wrapping up various plot threads in various ways yeah, about, yeah this guy did this. Yeah, this guy did this. Yeah, this guy did this. And Mando, he is on a farm because we have no idea what to do with him all season. <laughs> they're, they're breakfast clubbing us like, oh, and this guy, oh, he went on to be at MIT. Oh, Don't you forget about me. <laughs> so, so, but, but before we get to that, I, I have one Moff Gideon thing I wanted to get your takes on. What the hell does he want these clones for? 
does he not understand what clones Horse are, shit. or do I not understand? Because either he or I are an idiot about clones. Um, I think I think he's going. Um, have you ever seen the movie Multiplicity? No. Uh, it's basically the Is idea that like that a lot of dudes. Clones, it, it, it's, it's, it's where a guy. That's what the cover showed me. Uh, it's where a guy clones himself many times so you can get the clones to, to pick up the slack in various other aspects of his life. I think okay. Gideon is basically making a lot of clones so that there's a lot of force-powered hymns around that are also doing shit. Does he think he gets to live in there? In no. Nope. Does nope, he, he think just, none no. of them are going to kill him? No. That, 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 there's an inherent... That, hey, hey, hey. From dark side perspective, that would be delightfully appropriate. If he but, makes dark side clones, and they immediately betray and kill him. But does does he want to die? Because why does he think these are better since they're him? Like, I know he's proud of himself, but either, like, are, why? What's the you point? answered your own question earlier in the podcast. He's maddening the egotistical. He, he's, he thinks the, he's the best fucking – I mean, that guy thinks he can fucking run down Grand Admiral Thrawn in front of all those goddamn Imperials and get away with it. His ego is out of the – out insane to even – to do that. Like, I, I know that, like, you two guys haven't read the Thrawn books, but, like, in front of those I, I, Imperials – I read the legacy ones. In front of the Imperials to say, well, fuck him. He's not here. I don't give a fuck about him. Is insanity. That's like a, it's Russian roulette. Like he, mm-hmm. his ego's out the door, and so I just think it's as simple as that. Now, the, the, I do think it's very important that like they establish. Like I, I'm talking to you, Disney. So Mickey Mouse, perk up. He cannot switch bodies to the clones. Only the Emperor can do that. That's like a really important distinction. That's not a normal thing people can do when they're cloned. So, I want you to acknowledge that. Uh, Mo- that, that uh, Moff Gideon is, is as stupid as Din Djarin. I want you to say that, Lee, because I saw this as a little bit of a parallel. Again, they kind of Listen. flirted with this as a theme through the season of identity. You know, he thinks that the robot's going to still be the same robot just because it has the same body. And Moff Gideon's like, oh, well, these will be my immortality. And I, my failing is that I don't have the force. And now I can give myself the force with a clone. It's like, dude, dude, you're, your clones are going to just kill you. Very, very quickly, if they're remotely like you. So they're either random strangers who have the Force, or their other versions of you kill you. Question, by the way, about the exit of about the exit of Moth Gideon. Moth Gideon has been an arc villain of this entire series, from season one forward. Gideon has always been the big bad. How do we feel about him showing up in the last two episodes of this season to die? Did it work? Do you, do you feel it's a waste of the character? Are we clearing, are we clearing room for Thrawn to become the new big bad of the series? What do you guys think? I think that's it. I think it's, I think he, Moff Gideon has always been, in my opinion, unstable. Um, you know, the, the random, when he was shown in season one, the random killing of his own men, there was comments about how he, he, he would do that regularly. I remember during that po- during the podcast where we reviewed that, Spencer, I, ta- I made the distinction that Thrawn would never do that randomly sure. kill his own people Being for wasteful. no reason. He he's always just been a loose cannon and 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 unstable. And I think it, it would make sense that he would meet his end through his own ineptitude um, or his own inability to save himself, as opposed to like Thrawn having to come in with a heavy hand. It would have happened eventually, but I'm I'm cool with him being killed. And yeah, I mean, from a narrative perspective, they're setting up. They're absolutely setting up for Thrawn. So get rid of him. I'm totally cool with that. Hey, uh, one thing though is they've, now they've done this twice with Grogu with the stopping the fire. Yes. I, I wonder if they're setting up for a much bigger scene of that in the movie. Like, I, I wonder if this is breadcrumbs because like, 
there's a I think there's a reason they're showing his his ability to deal with fire so explicitly. Like this was a really like big beautiful scene that they did. Like my theory is that this is this is setting up for some very epic scene where he deals with fire, maybe a shipwreck or something. But that's my guess. Next season, he's going to learn to water bend. Probably can already do that if he's in trouble. Please stop with your he, Avatar crossover. He has to do them in order. Look, look, you're, you're on here to be pessimistic and smart. I'm here to make random comparisons to other products like Doctor Who and Star Trek. If you are suggesting that Thrawn is the leader of the Fire Nation, I am out. I'm out hard. Well, I wasn't, but now that you've said it, I love it. Stop it. I w- no, Tell me no, more, no. sir, about your ideas. Who I will say this in your in your head cannon. I'm not doing this. Lee, please save me. I will say this. I love the character of Carson Tiva, the the pilot of the New Republic. I think the guy acts it perfectly, and I also think he's like a wonderful addition as a cast of the Star Wars universe. This guy's just happy to be there. He loves Star Wars. He doesn't run it down like fucking if he doesn't get the part that he wants, like Tamora Morrison. Like he just he He's happy to be there. He loves Star Wars. I think he's a great addition. I think he does a really good job with it. I, I'm always happier when he's on the screen. I kept yeah. expecting there would be, there, there'd be a but there, but, but no, that was all positive, and I'm, I'm with you. I, I, but Mr., more Mr. Kim, please. I'm a big fan, and I think we're going to get a lot more. I think they, I think they picked up on that, that we, we liked but, him as a character. And we're going to get – we're clearly – he's going to be Mando's link to the New Republic for all of the shenanigans in Season 4. Because they've said that the, the Thrawn movie will be post-season five Mandalorian. So we get one more season of them just joshing around, and that's what next season will be. So I think we'll get a lot of him next season. That, that, that is not... I was going to say, I still like the idea that they are slow rolling the armor, kind of turning not quite evil. Because she's clearly not evil. She does a lot of good stuff. But, you know, the the, the king versus the pope, like power grab on Mandalore, I would love it if that's... Like the through line next season is the tension between Bo and the armorer. I I would be very disappointed if all of the factions are just coming together and everything is hunky dory. If that, that that would be profoundly disappointing to me if they go that route. Please give me some degree of tension. Give me some degree of conflict, like you've already talked about. Give me some degree of actual effort that needs to be put in to overcome the sins of the fathers and the inherent divisions in Mandalorian society. I, I want a little bit of the tutors. I want a little bit of Game of Thrones. Sure. I want that in in their relationship because I think that would be amazing and fascinating and fit their characters so well with them, neither of them being a villain, but both of them thinking a lot of themselves and having very different visions of what a perfect Mandalore would look like. Uh, one thing with respect to Carson T uh, um, that I feel like was set up, but then they just never did anything with. From his perspective, the Mandalorians were the ones that rescued Gideon. That was the last data point that he had. That was the police report he filed. Never really talked about again, which I found a little bit disappointing that they're not kind of at least going into some degree of tension or presumptions between the Republic and the Mandalorians, but maybe they can bring it up again later. Well, I think he, he recognizes there's different Mandalorian troops, right? Because like when he walks into the bar, he's pretty explicit that like, he's like, Hey man, we need to thank you for killing Gideon. And he was like, ah, you guys would have killed him anyway. So he knows that, that he killed Gideon. Carson. Yes. The the public bureaucracy. I'd be very surprised if they either understand or give a shit. Oh, well, I think, you know, I think they're setting that up, right? Because when he, when Mando's like, Hey, I I can do some jobs for the new Republic. And he goes, ah, it's against regulation. Kind of like, we're going to have to do that off the books. Mm -hmm. I think they're already setting up for like the new Republic's not going to be like, condoning what he's doing with Mando. 
And this is also making reference to the canceled show, the the canceled Ranger shows, right? That instead of, you know, having yes. its own independent show, they're not going to work it into Mandalorian effectively. I don't know if it's that explicit, but I think it's a reference to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, oh, there you go. Uh, the, is the IV 12 or something, is that supposed to now have the old one's personality and memories? I, I don't know. And I hope not. Cause we talked okay. about how dumb that would be. I don't, I'm not interested in anything on Navarro other than the nice, beautiful Airbnb that he's got on Del Boca Vista that he's hanging out in. That's the only thing I care about on Navarro. Loved it. Do you want me to tell you all the other shows that aren't this show that it reminded no. me of when he was like on a farm with his buddy? Unfortunately, we have segments that we have to get to. So oh, gonna, to here's how I'm going to do the best line of the episode. I'm just going to tell you guys my best line of the episode, and then maybe we can round robin each, each person's best line of the episode. If you want to share more, share them. But let's each say our own because um, okay. I don't want to be like the person picking this. Um, here's mine. <clears throat> the armor. Yes, but his parents – talking about Grogu. Yes, but his parents are far from here if they are even alive. Ooh, oh, my God. I was going crazy. Let it be written in the song that Din Djarin is accepting this foundling as his son. You are now Din Grogu, Mandalorian apprentice. This is the way. Shout out. So I got two things. I got a little bit of lore. I got a little bit of like, just whoop, little, little, uh, let's, let's all, let's all talk about and speculate on who Grogu's parents could be. Who could she be talking about? What information does she have? And then we got the just warm and fuzzies that they finally put it on paper. Spencer finally got married. Grogu is now the son of Jedi. They were already common law married. <laughs> All right, Spencer, you want to go next? Uh, my favorite line was, uh, I only know of this weapon what you taught me. To be honest, it means nothing to me or my people, nor the station or bloodline. What means more to me is honor and loyalty and character. These are the reasons I serve you, Lady Kreez. Your song is not yet written, and I will serve you until it is. I thought that was well written, if nothing else. I thought that was a very effectively delivered speech that really hit the kind of differing values from the Beatle and Mando's perspective. Because we haven't gotten to hear much of like what Mando thought about things this season, and I appreciated that kind of touch. That was a great one. I was banging my chest with the Mandalorian cheer. That's I was getting hyped for it. Um, Jamie, yours. That's actually stole mine, and I, I don't have a good back. <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, yours can be Grogu's squeal when he's sacrificing himself, but not sacrificing himself for uh, Din Djarin against the Praetorian Guards. Squeal. Uh, what? Your your quote is Grogu's squeal. Uh, well, I almost jokingly just said no. But I, I have that I, in my backup I, list. Please take my backup. No, is that no. No, that first no button was effective? <laughs> Get him out of the thing. No. Get him over here. No. What? No, 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 no. Because I've seen that. The kid who has, like, a thing says, give me the thing. No, Shoves no, it in their mouth no, and no. runs, eating it harder. Or a dog that has a chocolate in its mouth. I've seen it. It's perfect. The no that I liked was the no when he he, he jumped in when the Praetorian Guards were killing him. Because that was like a, it was a more, like, a abstract no. It's like, no, I know I will not allow this to occur. I, I reject I the reality you are trying to create in front of me. It, you will not be allowed to do it. It did even sound a bit like a Luke Skywalker seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi cut in half kind of no. Like just utter appalled rejection of events. I'm telling you, you guys, like, I know, I know y'all haven't sat obsessed about this, this scene like I have. Go back and just watch when Grogu, like, emerges as, as Din is dying. Watch the squeal, hear the squeal, watch his facial expressions. Like, 
I think they did a really good job in that moment. Like it, it happened fast, so you can you can kind of breeze through it on first moment, but I think they took some time with it. Um should we do nostalgic moment of the episode? Sure. I I I have a few. I've got I've got one, actually. Let's go uh, Jamie it, first this time and then we'll go to yeah, Spencer. We'll Jamie, go back the other way. first. So it actually is uh, I said that you're not allowed to be nostalgic for things in the same season. I worded that specifically. Dude, you set your own rules. I did. Now I'm break them. <laughs> Do not invite a lawyer to sue you, sir. You have no jurisdiction here, sir. You're licensed in a Florida. Get him, get him, get him. So the, the scene when they were in the market and Grogu was like grabbing random fruit and Din Djarin was having to pay for it oh, multiple times in a row. That, that was that a nostalgic was, moment. And it was that, for season one specifically, all of season one. I'm, no, I'm with you there. That was that was very delightfully season one nostalgic. It reminded me of how much I like those little aspects of their relationship, and I want more of them. Uh, yep. But you, I do acknowledge you can't. As much as I just want more of season one of Mandalorian, you you can't not progress them at all. It would get tired. So bringing it out every now and then like that works pretty well. I, there, I, I, maybe there's a way to get more of it, and if there is, I want it. But I I accept. A requirement that shows progress and move on past things I love. There are many a show that have done Monster of the Week while still having arc progression. It can be done well. Okay. Uh, Should we talk about all those shows? I can compare this to so many other shows. Let's talk about the first six seasons of Supernatural, but no, in a minute. Um, Things I was nostalgic for. One, mouse droids are great. I love mouse droids. They're just delightful whenever I see them. R5-D4 getting to be a hero. This is a long-term legacy character, and I like like him getting his day in the sun. Uh, Vibroblades. I just like them. From like a, just a technology standpoint. They're a nice little touch to see them in Star Wars. I like that the show has really actually gone into how they would look. Just as a, it, It's well done to have that introduced and put in visible, uh, seeing that um, on uh, in a, in a live-action Star Wars. I agree. Have, have, uh, it, have those never been in live action before? Because I know nope. them from the video. No, games. no, Mando, Mando season one's the first time we saw them. Okay, well, yeah, I'll add that one in there too. I'm going to piggyback on you a lot because yes, that was awesome, and it reminded me of how the first levels of uh, Knights of the Old Republic you use a vibro blade because you don't have a lightsaber yet. You that do. Sucks because that vibro oh. blade sucks, but that's oh. what you got. I'll do a little bit of video game nostalgia then, too. I've talked about how much I like Dark Troopers because they are from the Dark Forces video game series, and I've always liked that. The fact that Gideon is wearing a Dark Trooper, essentially, outfit is straight up the final boss of Dark Forces. It is uh, General Rom Mach wearing a Dark Trooper, essentially, exosuit that he's now built for himself. So someone clearly in this writing team played Dark Forces back in the day, and I'm amused by that. Um, last bit of nostalgia for me, Gilad Pallion. He's huge in Legacy Canon. The guy has like a 70-year career in Star Wars. He is over everybody's books from way back in the Old Republic, all the way through the, the Empire, through Thrawn, and for just decades afterwards. This guy eventually is, you know, the most powerful man in the whole Star Wars galaxy. So seeing him brought into the modern Disney canon this way... I'm excited to see where more they go with him. He's a he's been, he was a wonderful character back in Legacy. A lot of good ones as usual. You always do a great job with that segment, Spencer. I I'm going to say my nostalgic moment of the episode is twofold. Neither one of them points back to the main series, so sorry. Uh, 
One is Grogu with large creatures. I know I made jokes about it previously, but like that seems to be a recurring thing in the series. The very first time we noticed that Grogu could use the Force, which the mud horn. I went crazy is when he held the mud horn up for a few seconds to save Mando's life. Um, he continues to connect and deal with large creatures and the connection to the mythosaur at the end. I think the implication there is that um, Bo is more like Robert Baratheon, maybe like seat warmer for for the prince that was promised, which is Jon Snow, right? Like Grogu is probably the person to ride the mythosaur, the chosen one in the Mandalorian lore. He has the one that has the connection with the mythosaur, has woken the mythosaur up. So I think he's he's ultimate. I think that Bo is a sort of red herring for that prophecy. I think Grogu is the one that will eventually do that. I know Bo likes Grogu. Do you think she still would be pissed if Grogu is actually the one that is, you know, the destined Mandalorian and is riding the Mythosaur? Well, so I yes. think that, so she would. Say that she likes she liked Injarin, but she was pissed when he got the dark saber. She dealt with it. But I think that the timing is going to work out that she's never going to see it because like Grogu will be like a hundred before this starts happening, like before he's able to like assume that role and, and Bo will be dead in 20, 30 years. So I think that like the cool, the, th- the thing that's so exciting about the Grogu character, other than the fact he's awesome on screen, is that this can now be a character that can connect to everything they want to do. He can be in the Grand Emerald Thrawn series. He can be in the Ray movie. He can have his own movies as a, Jedi Master, like p- pushing out two, three hundred years from now, and you can you can continue that timeline post uh, Episode Nine through that character for basically as long as you want. He can live another eight hundred and fifty years. So I think that's a really really cool thing. So I anyway, all that to say, Grogu is 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 there for me. And the second one, um, I'm going to say is the the casual reference to well, we haven't seen Thrawn in a long time. Mm. As as if yeah. that's a, like a like a not a big deal like ah I, I don't know he probably got lost in traffic type it, shit like, doesn't show up for board meetings. Let me explain something. Every fucking thing this guy does has been thought of six ways to Sunday. The fact that he has gone hidden, undercover, whatever. There will be if they do if they do the. The Timothy Zahn character Justice, there will be massive backstory about why he is choosing to do this and why he's speaking only through certain characters in that council and why he appears publicly when he does. That that will be something that he has thought of every possible way, mincid the fuck, and he will be ready to, to ready to roll when that movie comes around. So I just that, that little reference to him and this like little detail, oh, he's not around triggered so many things that like he did in the book where I thought like, or in the books where I thought, Oh man, I'm sure that I'm sure there's some sort of like built up story around this. So he's going to oceans 11 it. If there, if they, you know what I, I'm obviously worried that like Timothy Zahn wrote that character and now Dave Filoni and John Favreau are going to have to write him and like something might get lost in translation because like he spends hundreds of pages in these books laying backstory and foundation for like the trap that Thrawn is setting for that particular narrative. And it's, you're always like hustling to catch up with Thrawn's logic. I hope they do that justice. If they do, it won't just be, Oh, he just took a vacation. It will be a real fucking reason why he's doing this. Thrawn had a plan. Thrawn always has a plan. It's kind of the Thrawn is in disguise as Dick Wolf all along. Fascinating. 
Uh, but Lee, you mentioned you had some issue with respect to Grogu walking about. We didn't, we, didn't, we never got back to that. What was the yeah. scene you were talking about? So not an issue. Um, but I think that, uh, the episode or the, 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 the scene where he's going in and he talks to Carson Tiva, I feel like Grogu was t- walking faster there and it was really fast with the legs. So I head cannons this. I know you love when I just create like something that they don't, they don't give me on screen and I just create it. Go on. It's the thing that Jamie gave me about how Palpatine fought, that he's not really fighting. He is using the force as almost like to puppet his body and move it. Like that's how I was thinking Grogu was moving his legs there because it's an unnatural looking movement for his legs. It's going way too fast. I thought he was using the force to just like giddy up in sort of the same way. What happened to the force? And he would. He would use the force just to skip a little faster. He would love doing that. He did that for sure. Absolutely. What what happened to Grogu's flying egg? I don't remember because that was his best means of getting around. That was the that, that solved so many problems as compared to IG eleven suits or weird walking puppet anim- See, effects. His egg didn't have one piece of paper with the word yes on it and one with the word no on it that he could point to. I don't think it's been dest- it's not been destroyed. He still has. Where, where is it? Like, I, did he have it this season? I don't think he did. I think that if they're going, he had it to, earlier in the season. Yeah, he still got it, it but I I, I I think it's just. You know, maybe a Tatooine or something, but like, if he's going to, if they're going to move him out of Goo Goo Gaga toddler, they have to figure out a way that he moves on his own. Yoda moved on his own. Like, he can't be in a fucking cradle. Like, they have to figure out a way for him to move. Maybe that's not the way to do it. Maybe that doesn't work for fans, but they got to figure something out. But Yoda in the prequels, he rode around on a little jazzy scooter, basically, because him walking at normal speed sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. A couple sometimes scenes he, he did faster. You're right. A couple scenes he did do that. And, and sometimes he walks slow. So there's a lot of options here, but it can't be a fucking baby cradle. Like it's gotta be something else. Like that thing was designed to look boy. like a fucking a big boy cradle to look like a cradle. Spencer, like he, 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 he it's they can't do that forever. Cradle. He's not it, a little baby. He's a big I, boy. I am perfectly fine with giving this kid a mobility scooter. I got no issue with this. I'm just complaining a little bit that him walking around doesn't always look the best. Look, if we start calling it the Pope Mobile instead of the cradle, would that work for you better, Lee? Uh, yeah, that works. Okay, okay. Uh, then you, yeah, because now you're telling me that Grogu ends up being the head of a really important religion in the galaxy, uh, like, like the a Jedi, Jedi Master or something. Yeah, um, yeah God. really. So they have an interesting thing they have to do with Grogu, and I, I want to end with this just to throw you guys, because they're going to do the Ray movie before the Thrawn movie. The Ray movie is set after Episode Nine. If Grogu shows up in the Ray movie, then that means he survived the Thrawn movie. So the timing of it is such that if they stick him in the Grey movie, I think it alleviates some of the tension of the, the Thrawn movie, which will come after that. I think Disney will still stick him in the Ray movie just because they want the opportunity of getting extra fans drawn in explicitly to see or hear word of mouth that Grogu is there. I don't think they I, I don't think it will matter enough to them to spoil the dramatic tension with the Thrawn movie because they're not going to kill off Grogu anyway. I, I agree completely. Um, I think you're right. I think it'd be better if those were in reverse order, so you wouldn't know. Hundred percent. Um, but for I'll be cynical that yes, they will sell more tickets and sell more merchandise if there's a live action movie with Grogu in it, and 
you are right. There's not that much tension. Nobody really thinks he's going to die in the Thrawn movie. He has plot and marketing merchandising armor. Um, and Mando, really Mando could die in the Thrawn movie. I could picture Mando dying there. I agree, and but that's how. But the thing, Mando has I, plot alloy. I like that. I felt like I knew that Mando wasn't going to die because before the the week that the before the Mandalorian finale came out, Filoni announced the movie at the Star Wars celebration, and I thought there's no fucking way they're doing this movie and not having Pedro Pascal in it. Like they, are you kidding me? Like that, it, it depends. Oh. When does the next season of Last of Us film? Yeah, I well, guess so. Uh, he, he wasn't there on site. You know, or is, are we getting a Henry Cavill kind of situation? Is he not gonna? Oh God, CGI face. Well, hmm. or just have him never take the mask off again. You could do that. It Easy enough not. to have a voice sound alike and have him not take off the mask if you needed to. Like, I'm not. I I don't want them to do this. In fact, I want them to take the mask off at least like once a season for something. But it it was weird. It almost felt like the character regressed because of how far he came with respect to the mask thing kind of being bullshit in the last two seasons. And then by necessity, he stripped a mask this entire season. It almost felt like he was returning to his, you know, he was returning to the Westboro Baptist Church the entire season. I felt bad about it. I felt like he regressed, too, as a character. I felt like this was this was a bad season for the character of, of Din Djarin. Like, I, I, think I do least, think that. That's at least in part because they didn't have Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Him ha- being able to take his mask off was a key aspect of him growing in, in terms of the character and his understanding of the universe. And they got rid of all of that this season. I agree. All right, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, Spencer, I'm going to give you a chance for final thoughts, and then I'll kick it to Jamie to have final thoughts for the for the season. Spencer, final thoughts on the, the season. This felt like the season that was most hamstrung by what Disney has broader planned for their overall live-action world. And those strings have always been there, but they were most visible to me this season, and it hurt a lot. Uh, this season felt like, in many ways, it was just treading water because its purpose was to serve as a bridging point for other things rather than really to kind of work on its own legs and tell its own story, particularly for Mando. And like I said, Mando himself didn't do much. What we saw felt like it was several steps back for the character rather than forward. So overall pins of the season, it had some great moments. That's some great episodes. I had some things I definitely liked and, you know, worked up my nostalgia, just enjoyment of the characters we saw. But the overall package was messy, and I don't think it worked together particularly well, and I think it did a better job telling other people's stories rather than Mando's. Makes sense. All right, Jamie, you have done the you did the full season with me. Thank you for doing this season with me. Spencer and I got ourselves in a heck of a pickle with podcast schedules. We've been doing way too much of them, and um, I appreciate you picking up and doing the season with me. I'm going to give you the floor to close out the season. What'd you think? I I liked it. I it had it had probably my least favorite episode. It had maybe my second least favorite, but I've set the bar so high. What, what was it, Obi-Wan or something, when you all were saying, is this better or worse than an average Mandalorian? I kept saying less good. It's because I said yep. they are really high. I really like Mando season one and two so much. Um, so I liked it. Um, I wanted more of it, meaning I think that they rushed too much in general. I think they needed half again as many episodes. I think having an episode where you're actually exploring the people who were left behind to Mad Max it up on Mandalore, at least a half episode, at least have them be the secondary plot of an entire episode. Easily enough. You could put a, you could make a mini series or a season about them. You could give them half an episode. At least a three episode arc would have been great for that. Yeah. Um, 
And I like filler episodes. But when you only have one in a season, it kind of stands out a little. And it's a little strange. I would have loved to have had twice as many episodes. To have, instead of one or two filler episodes, five filler episodes. Lots of Monsters of the Week. Interesting side plots. It seems like the side plots are important in because they wanted to do stuff. Like, oh, we're hunting for a droid head. So that we can go fail at finding a droid head, but we get to see our old buddy back on Tatooine. Like, uh, they rush too much. They fit in the right number of stuff, but they had to fit it in a box that was too small. Um, and it, it made some things not work as well as it could have, and it left a lot on the table. Um, it was the weaker of the three seasons by a significant margin, but I liked it. A lot. I enjoyed it a lot. I think it was good and well done, with maybe the exception of episode one of the season, which was my least favorite. And it was served, even as you guys said, it served a purpose. But um, I didn't. That's the. I think that's the only episode that I objectively didn't like. Um, and if that's my low watermark of the whole season, like that still speaks highly of the rest of the season. And it was fun. It was across the board fun. And it's hard to keep something like silly guy who can't talk fun for this many seasons. And they're still doing it. And I'm impressed. Lee, right. what'd you think? Nope. I'm gonna let that be the end. I've already said, oh. what, I, I've already said what I think. I've, I've said basically, basically what JV said is that the same, same deal is that I really enjoyed it, but it was the weakest of the three seasons. There's some real high, high marks for me with particular characters, but um, I found myself, not looking forward to the episodes as much as I have in previous seasons, and I think that says a lot. I still like it, but it's not the same. Uh, so I agree with everything James said. Question: When does Grogu actually talk? I think in the Ray movie. Oh, that would what be was nice. that? In the Ray movie. You well, say in the Ray movie, Lee. What did you say? Well, I think they're a little fucked up on the timing because Yoda started training Jedi when he was a hundred. Grogu is fifty now. So, you know, if you think maybe he started training Jedi when he was equivalent to, say, 20 years old, um, Grogu would be 10 now. So Grogu kind of should be talking now. So they they would they need to introduce some explanation for delayed development in the species because the timeline's not working out with what they've already established. Yoda did at a particular age. So my guess is there's going to be some sort of growth spurt. There's going to be something that happens at some point where he shoots up and we'll learn that that's, that's common in that species. I'd like it if, it, if they waited all the way to the gray movie, but I think that by the time you get to the, um, to the Thrawn movie, he'll be like 60 and he should be talking by then. So they'll, they'll need it. If they don't, if they don't have him saying words, then they need a firm lore explanation for it. My theory is he will say sentences. Never, ever. Maybe individual words, but like like Silent Bob, because I should pull in more weird movies. If he talks to you, it's a big deal. I'm saying never, because that's part of what makes his character compelling and enjoyable, is he doesn't have a squeaky voice or anything like that. He Even if he's – I expect him to be a Jedi Master and still just to be mute, like vow of silence. I, that, that, that's, what, that's my prediction. I'm going to go on a limb and say that. Uh, maybe words, individual words, but never conversations and sentences. Okay. Well, I will say this. Uh, I know, I know that Disney execs listen to this podcast. Catherine Kennedy, obviously, John Favreau. Um, please don't ever stick in a Mandalorian armor. Just figure out a way not to do that. Just don't fucking do that. Please. I don't Happening. Want 
I don't want it. I don't want it. I think think, he's going to be in the helmet. Think of the merchandising opportunities. It's getting thumbed down. It's like Mickey Mouse ears, but pointier. It's elf Mickey Mouse's. I get he already has so. two pieces of Beskar. That's more than everyone who's not past Vizsla. Dude, they're going to give him a jetpack as another means of getting around, because they need to find means of getting him around. Think of the jumps he could do spinning with a jetpack going. That's I, a horrible idea. Flames. No. <laughs> Have you ever seen those fireworks spinners that just shoot sparks in every direction? He's going to turn into a pinball. He's going to fight everyone with a jetpack on. I, I'm trying to hurt Lee as much as possible right now. I, look, I, look. As, as long as he's alive and he's getting I screen time. I love my idea, though. Oh, that's going to be so I'm okay. Right I'm pretty much okay if he's alive and getting screen time. But I would prefer him not in a bunch of Mandalorian armor. Oh, he's going to be a spinning little fireball. It's I, still think of him, I still think of him as Yoda's son, not necessarily yeah. Jinjar. You, you want to know why I was really you know, sad when they had him walk away from being a Jedi? It's because of shit like this. They are, yeah. are going to straight up go this route now with the character. Well, he'll, he'll probably show up in the Rey movie as a Jedi. So anyway. All right. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate everybody for listening. And uh, thanks, Spencer, for joining us. And thanks, Jamie, for, for doing this podcast with me. I'm glad you're a part of the Mangum Talks Podcast Network. Hopefully you can come back and do Ahsoka with us. I look forward to talking to Ahsoka in August. Uh, thanks, everybody. And we'll see you then.